What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to another episode of Who Back When? First things first, fear not. Leon is still the main man for Phase 2 and will continue to be so as long as the podcast persists. I just happen to be future Drew Back When because I'm editing this episode. You will get your Ponkron fix very shortly. I'm giving you this little intro because you will hear in this episode that we plan to drop it the day after RTD dropped the giggle, and thereafter to record more episodes before year's end. But a mixture of family issues, family visits, and our fast and furious social schedules generally have put paid to these lofty plans. The next episode to drop may end up being our customary Christmas bloops, but even they may come in the new year because Leon has a lot of people to visit this festive season. Lucky boy. That being so, thanks for being such a lovely and patient audience. We wish you a splendid Christmas season. God bless us, everyone, and apologies for the delay, but we hope still to catch you on the 2024 Liberty Flop. Now, Alon Z with the show. This is the one with Mad Paddington. That giant sausage roll from Tuesday. The beep of all the meep, meepiest of the meeps. A sonic shield. And the definite article. It's called The Star Beast. Here Here we we go. go. (laughs) Fixing post. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel sound. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and Wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? What's ho, podcast land, and welcome to an absolutely fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. Still Docpast, yes, still Docpast. Yes, because <laughs> we will be dropping this the day after the giggle, and David Tennant will once again be a Docpast, after having him for all of two weeks. Yes, that's right. Podcast land, sorry, we are not quite yet a Doc present, but bear with us, we'll get there. This is the start of what we, behind the scenes, have been referring to at least for the past five minutes as phase two of who back when a doctor who podcast with us but who are we well podcast land i am leon beside me i have my trusty co-host drew back when hello actually i'm the drew back when meet me and across from us is our trusty co-hosts overseas in berlin it's jim cakes hello jim hello hello the meep drew and hello leon hello podcast land <laughs> Hello, Jim. Hello, podcast land. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, welcome to phase two, where <laughs> Drew's going to be doing that voice the whole way through. Me, me. <laughs> <laughs> so today, this fine evening, we are going to be discussing the Star Beast. It is the first of three specials. If uh, you don't count the Christmas one. If you don't count the Christmas one. But these three, they belong together in a set, right? They are that... the 60th anniversary special. Exactly. And this is part one of said specials, Tenant has returned as the 14th Doctor and we're all very excited. How excited are we? High level, Drew. High level, I'm so excited that I now wear glasses just so I can look like David Tennant regenerated. <laughs> Fabulous. That's quite excited. It <laughs> is very exciting, yeah. I was kind of hoping that you'd be wearing them this evening, actually. I forgot, sorry. Oh. Cakes, how about you? High level. Uh, I'm not that excited, I have to say. Oh, oh amazing. But also kind of excited because it's still <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Who after all. great well we'll be digging right into that yeah very curious to hear all about that 
well, for my sake, I'm not as excited as I was after having watched it just the one time. On rewatch, I was decidedly less enthusiastic, but I'm still very happy yeah. that we have Doctor Who That's back. because you're bringing your professional critical eye to it. That might be it. The first time I didn't watch it and take notes, I just watched it on the little big screen, uh, just throbbing all the way through just and basking in incredibly happy. And the second time I would pause and take little notes. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that did play a part. Who knows? Mm. Anyway, Star Beast. Star Beast? Wait, what is that? What it's Doctor called? Who! Hey, the Star oh, Beast. Beast. What's it all about, though? <laughs> only there were a way to find out. Jim, you got any recommendations? Well, I think we better get us down to some kind of B-Scale club and uh, oh. listen to them summarising beats. <laughs> Let's! Time for us to synopsize Let's find and summarise So take a view and grab a brisket And listen to this overview It's free for all We'd like to have a of who? The freshly regenerated 14th Doctor travels to London's Camden Market and instantly bumps into Donna Noble, the one former companion who under no circumstances may be bumped into. She introduces her daughter, Rose, handily volunteers information about Rose's career to the stranger before her, and then fails to observe a spaceship crashing into a nearby disused power plant. The timings, frankly, are so perfect, one wonders if this could really all be coincidence. Leaving Donna once more to her fate, Doc commandeers her husband's taxicab and heads to the crash site. It transpires that two alien races have just arrived on Earth. One is The Meep, this year's Disney-branded stuffed toy of choice for Whovian miners, and the other are the insectoid Raph Warriors hunting it. Goinkity alert! While Doc catches up with Unit at the crash site, it transpires the meat deployed an escape pod and is now hiding in Rose's shed. Are all cuddly aliens good though, or ought one occasionally side with the bugs? Suddenly thrust together into an adventure once again, although not in a way Sean Temple finds at all threatening, Doc, Donna, and now also Rose must save London from being swallowed by the Earth, implement all 15 of the sonic screwdriver's snazzy new features, and not implode the former lottery winner's head in the process. Bisco over. You are welcome. Aren't you just? First take. Yeah. <laughs> right, so that's what this episode is about. Is there anything in particular that stands out as a magnificent opening question or opening point to discuss? Chaps. Jim isn't providing anything. I don't know what to say, really. I have so many issues with this, and I don't want to start on massive downers or anything. So someone say something nice. I I can start with something positive. As an introductory question, and this might be perhaps mostly for you, Drew. Yes, I don't mind that. This episode sees the return of Donna Noble. Not only Donna Noble, the Dr. Donna also. Yes, you're absolutely right. One of your favourites, Donna Noble, if not the favourite. Right up there. The definite article Mm -hmm. how do you feel about it i feel like she has lots of funny lines everybody does it's a funny episode i'm gonna say that first up I don't think that's too controversial. That's probably no. the most controversial thing we'll talk about all evening. I thought that the script was full of zingers and they were spread around, but Catherine Tate, she fell right back into the role. She was Clueless Donna. She was Dr. Donna. She was now restored, rehabilitated, mind-mended Donna. I thought that she and Tenants have their double-act chemistry. I mean, that never really went away. They've acted together outside Doctor Who in various things. Yeah, I feel like we were just pulling back on the cozy old jumper. Almost as though nothing, no time had passed at all. In many ways, yes. Okay. Jim, would you concur? I mean, I am obviously not a massive fan of Donna, but this was Donna, 100%. Right. Lows and highs that come with that. 
What's yeah. and all? <laughs> exactly. No, I think there were some lovely moments, particularly the bit where she was like feeling like she had lost something. She hadn't remembered everything yet, but there was a scene where she's talking with Sylvia, I think. And she's very aware she's lost something. That was a lovely little bit. So, that, you know, there were some good Donna moments in here. Obviously, mm. still, I don't find her that enjoyable. But, hey <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I actually found her quite enjoyable most of the time. Okay. But it's like the mother who overacts and the daughter who underacts in this episode. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, I watched this with Cass the first time. And every now and then, Donna Noble would just do a Donna. One of the incredibly loud and OTT deployments of a line. What the hell? <laughs> and on a few occasions, I found it really effective comedy, like slapstick. The whole, what do you mean there's no such thing as spacious? There's a bloody Martian in the shed or whatever it is. Th- that was a fun moment. But every now and then, there would be a deployment of one of those lines in not a comedic scene. I and I would look over at Kat and just go, like, see, this is why I don't really like her. And she said, yeah, she's actually a really good actress. It's just her voice that is insanely annoying to most people. <laughs> right. So actually, it has nothing to do with a lack of talent. It's essentially something that we should not be judging. Is, well, is no, I think how I'm not going to accept it. that because Catherine Tate has had her own sketch comedy show in which she's played many different characters. She's had a Netflix show, Hard Sell. In is she, she that OTT in those as well? Well, what I'm saying is she has tremendous control of her voice. It's a very powerful, and not just in terms of volume, but in terms of dexterity and variety, instrument. And so she absolutely absolutely could tone it down or make it slightly different if she wanted to. Oh, so it's actually just a matter of inclination. See, now I'm less enthused by her it's return. It's a deliberate choice, <laughs> but it works for some people. Works for me. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Happy to be in the minority on that one. I think they're quite interesting, and I think Drew's take on these serials, sorry, not serials, Old Habits Die Hard hey. episodes, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I think is of more interest to podcast land, potentially, because you're the audience that this has been done for, Drew, I feel. You loved the Donna and David Tent's Doctor interplays. Donna in particular, you know, she's your favourite companion, I think. Is that fair to say? I've seen so many now, it's hard to choose. But yeah, Donna is always in the conversation. Yeah, so I was never super excited when I learned about these specials because they're not an era of Doctor Who I particularly connect with, I guess, is the right. way to say it. So I'm never going to be the audience for this. And I accept that. And I'm trying to rate it just as I would anything else. It's still Doctor Who. I'm glad it's on the TV. But honestly, I'm very interested more to hear from you, Drew, than what that, I think you to of say, it. Jim, but your opinion is also valid. And you raise an interesting question because this is a soft reboot intended to take Doctor Who global as far as Disney can reach into every corner of every house in the world. And there are multiple ways to look at it. Doctor Who had its highest ever ratings pretty much during Series 4 with Donna Noble, Catherine Tate, David Tennant. They were the peak ratings-wise, at least, of the New Who run. So I can see why they would want to go back to that winning formula. But at the same time, loads of people don't like Donna Noble, and she's quite divisive. Yes. And on top of that, I think it's really odd to pick this coupling for a soft reboot, rather than the brand new Doctor we're going to have in just a couple of episodes, in one episode's time, where we are. And RTD is so painfully aware of this, that when you start loading up the episode, and the new Hooniverse branding. The Marvel-esque Hooniverse branding. (laughs) Yes, 
launches onto the screen, shooting at was face is the first that you see. Right. Yeah. See, that's odd. It's very odd. But regardless, I think there's another reason why they have picked Tennant and Donna here. Let's hear it. It's that they are so incredibly clearly the best of friends. It's less clear in this episode than it is in the next one, in the Wild Blue Yonder. Especially now having watched it, I've seen some behind the scenes stuff of it. Oh, and those did two... you watch the Doctor Who Unleashed on Wild Blue Yonder as well? No, I did not. I just saw a couple of clips on YouTube. Okay, but that's just basically half an hour of them farting about having the best time. Well, I saw that, but I saw 30 seconds of it. Yeah. <laughs> or a minute and a half. It seems like they're just such great chums. So if they're bringing back Tennant, they're thinking, well, who else are we going to bring back? We can't really bring back Rose. How's that going to work? What are we going to do? Are we going to fuck with the timelines completely? Hey, Tennant, whom would you like to act with? Whom do you <laughs> have great chemistry with? Donna Noble. His doc, his docs and Donna Noble have mm. undeniably some of the best chemistry between a doctor and a companion in all of New Who. Yeah. And given that the run is so short and a lot of the third episode is going to be him dying and battling the toy maker, I assume, it's a shame that we had to go most of this episode without really experiencing that chemistry. Mm. Yeah. I, I see why it's turned out this way, but at the same time, it's odd, as you say, in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you brought up the fact that they brought back not just Donna, but the Dr. Donna. Jim Cakes, how do you feel about the Dr. Donna and the concept of the whole meta crisis? And I feel like we should spend conservatively about 70 minutes just discussing how they resolved the the (laughs) Dr. Donna meta crisis, yada, yada, yada. But yeah, how do you feel about it, dude? I actually quite liked the concept of the Dr. Donna. And I liked how bittersweet, maybe just bitter, actually, the ending was for Donna. I think that was a really nice companion ending because Mm. it's gut-wrenching. It makes you just sit there thinking, oh my God, the hardship for Donna feeling something's lost, something's missing. And Wilf and, well, not so much Sylvia, mainly Wilf unable to tell her about all these adventures that she's been on. And that was his life, was just thinking about adventures and all this kind of stuff, you know. And I kind of liked that as an ending. And I'm not sure, like, trying to round it off properly just feels like that film you go and watch where you see four-fifths of it and you're like, this is the best film ever. And then they just fuck up the ending and it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Mm. And I don't know. You're also describing most Doctor Who episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. True. Yeah, it sounds like everything doesn't need to have a happy ending. Donna had a perfect arc. She had developed as a character, but for some reason they decided, let's go back and make everything nice and jolly again. You guys are going to sound pretty silly when just yesterday... Donna got blasted out of existence forever in every dimension like at the the very end of Mostly Harmless Donna will never have existed in any reality ever. RTD has maxed up the bitterness (laughs) to the exponential hyperbolic billionth dimension. Very possible. Bing bong yeah they sound pretty silly. Bing bong I was about to say it's highly unlikely given that, especially if this is meant to be a soft reboot and it's the anniversary and we probably want to leave people, you know, with a smile <laughs> at the end of it. But actually, no, it's very possible. You're right. Still, I disagree. I'm with Jim on this one. I yeah, think she yeah. had a perfectly formed arc. Oh, she did. And to have it, well, they didn't hand wave it away. They hand held it away at the end yeah. was very disappointing. <laughs> 
Yes, exactly. Should we talk about that? Should we talk resolution of the Dr. Donner metacrisis, well, yada, yada, I mean, yada? As three male presenting people, we can't possibly hope to understand how they did it. So maybe it's not for us to try and analyze. Oh, okay. Kevil. <laughs> I am only paraphrasing the script in some Yeah, there. no, you're right. You're right. I thought that was a massively lazy end to that entire arc. I mean, when was this? Was this series four, did you say? When yes. all this happened? Yep, Donner's so, originally series four. So when is that? That's freaking eons ago it's like, 2008 that's 15 years ago yeah i think they referenced that in episode it's been 15 years right so 15 years ago this was a major development for donna an incredibly difficult decision for doc to have to make yeah and because... that's what drives the sheer height of drama that we get in this episode that's what sets up all the best bits but it turns out actually all you need to do is wish the problem out of existence and then that's fine there's no science fictiony explanation for it it's just a let it go frozen it and then it's done yeah like women can which donna was previously which is confusing jim what do you think i think many things oh <laughs> so first of all actually i had to look this up but it's not 2008 because it, this is the specials at the end of time which technically the last oh, yeah. one was the first of january 2010 but that's just i don't think donna uh, appeared in that did she? i looked up this is where she it all happens have. oh is that um, where she married Sean Temple. Well, at the end, she marries him. Sans memory. Don't we get a flashback of that in this one, even? Oh, is it just flashbacky yeah. stuff? Okay, maybe the wipe stuff happens at the end of the other series. Then. Sorry, sorry, Jim. I rewatched Journey's End today, which is the last episode of Series Four, where Davros lines up the twenty-seven planets, and that is when the Doctor Donna appears. Ah, uh, okay. And where Donna's memories are wiped. Right. So okay. presumably, a couple of years after that, she then marries Sean Temple, and that's when Wolf does the salute. And all that kind of thing. Right, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. What I found interesting was literally, this is the last thing that Russell T wrote and produced for Doctor Who as well, and it also had Donna in it. He brought her back then as a little flashbacky, dropping in and see how she's doing type thing, which is where the lottery ticket came in, because I had forgotten about the lottery yes, ticket. Yes, same. Mm. And I had to look up if that really happened, and it did. It wasn't just a weird reference in this special. But anyway, the real thing about the Doctor Donna crisis I like that the resolution could have been she had a daughter and that has a kind of sciencey thing of like a problem shared type thing. Totally you know, agree with you. Energy dissipates a little bit or whatever. And I love that there's a trans character in this. I love the references they made about her being dead named by the bullies and her grandmother struggling with the concept of it, like wanting to do the best thing that she can do, but not quite sure about how to get it right. Those things I felt were treated really well. And then they just, hmm. I felt really ham-fisted and I think you're right Leon lazily put in these bits about binary non-binary which a pin in that as well yeah I'm sorry to cut you off just to say like I think there are two very separate conversations going on at the same time yeah let's let's absolutely talk about trans representation as far as we're able to comment on it ourselves but I'm literally just referring to the Dr. Donna, the very lazy deus ex machina at the end of like, uh, it's not a problem if you don't think it's a problem. Like gender roles have no bearing on it. They don't factor in. It is just, to my mind, it's a very lazy thing to say, this is the thing that's been driving 13 years worth of Whovian anxiety. And actually, it never needed to be a thing because all you needed to do was wish it away. I don't think they're entirely two separate conversations because I think RTD, he's making a big, bold statement for trans representation. Of course he is. That 
that's inarguable. And if a trans actress has the chops, she has just as much right to be in this show as anybody else. None of us are going to disagree with that. But I think RTD, I mean, maybe he could have been that lazy without using that as a but that's mask. Not, but, but that's not the reason why they can wish away the problem at the end. That is Bro- the reason they give, because they are two women and David Tennant himself, as he is couldn't do it that's what they say so and so i think what they're doing is they're saying look at this big bold trans representation thing we're doing here that's the justification for the scene otherwise it doesn't need to make sense i don't feel like that necessarily well okay that's just my interpretation so you may be right no 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 interpretation is right or wrong here sure. again though i'm not commenting on the presence of a trans person in this scene it, uh-huh. it doesn't have any effect on it it is equally as lazy with a trans woman on screen as without a trans trans woman on screen if donna had just had a regular daughter and that had been how they did it i say regular you know what i mean podcast land anyone it doesn't matter any kind of offspring. if it's donna i agree with what you said before jim i'm completely and totally on board with the sort of sci-fi explanation of there was x amount of time lord energy or tardis energy. I can't, I can't fully remember the whole time lord metacrisis situation but like tardis energy or whatever it is now, what, time it was, what it was was david tennant was injured at the end of the episode before he started to regenerate put all his regeneration energy that was excess to healing him into his hand dr donna got the regeneration energy from the hand and that's how then there was the john smith created who went off with rose at the end yeah and so all of that is mixed together and that's why donna got that dose i'm gonna go back and rewatch all of new who at some point anyway <laughs> i think there's a lot of stuff in this episode where it's just a tweak here or there and i'm on board but as it's left mm-hmm. i just yeah. sort of roll my eyes and this one if the explanation is by them both having it both understanding it they can do something together and that was very clearly laid out then i would have been okay with it probably but that's not what they say they say because they are female presenting that they can understand it in a different way and they can let it go which you made the very good point that donna had this ability all the time obviously she doesn't know about it for most of the time but the point where she was the dr donna she could have just turned around and said well i give it up the addition here is that she now has her daughter rose with her but that isn't addressed it isn't made the reason and it should be that should be the reason now they're a unit or something Hmm. actually it it has dawned on me now that you're both right also about trans identity being part of this particular plot point i can't believe that we're gonna stumble into this very very complex conversation relatively early in this podcast episode and we're not necessarily the best equipped to discuss it so podcast land please we're sylvia noble in this situation we are trying yes we are also very very well aware that we're not part of that dynamic in the same way as a huge part of podcast land and of the Hooniverse and consequently we may be interpreting this in a way that is anyway. like everything else exactly so here's the thing that I interpreted as from my point of view it seemed frankly like a disservice to trans people and it is that I caught this I think on first viewing and then I made a concerted effort to actually make a note of it and, and register so that I wasn't misunderstanding this the second time around and I didn't misunderstand it Don she says something to the effect of this is why Rose is who she is. The Doctor is both male and female. Yeah. That's why Rose is the way she is. 
that to me, I'm a million percent pro-trans representation on TV, in Doctor Who, everywhere. Absolutely, unequivocally. But that, to me, seems like a plot point that kind of says the only reason Rose is the way she is is because of a wibbly-wobbly thing. And at the end, we're going to undo that wibbly-wobbly thing. It, it seems they... really odd to me. It seems like, no, Rose is the way she is because that's who Rose is. Like, you're kind of right, and you're kind of wrong. The little scene in question, the Doctor says, we're binary. Donna says, she's not, because the Doctor's tenant says male, Donna says, and female. Then you cut to Rose saying, and neither, and more. Also, I got the impression anyway, I may be wrong, but I got the impression that Rose was binary. She's a woman. This was a thing that Maria and I talked about afterwards. They call Rose she all the time. This big conversation about pronouns. And I have no issue with them having a conversation about pronouns. And the scene with the meep is a little bit forced. Again, this is the issue I have with Russell T. Davis in general, is that he can write (laughs) some incredibly sensitive pieces like It's a Sin. But then he's so incredibly good, and I use the term incorrectly, at just (laughs) shoving his fist down your throat about whatever point he wants to make that day. And this feels more like the latter rather than It's a Sin. It's a Sin was a masterpiece. Yeah. Such a good series. I completely agree with you. And this is just like, I've got some boxes on my sheet that I want to get into the script. I don't care how it happens. That's how it feels. It feels not like it's been treated delicately. It doesn't feel it's been treated with that much attention. I don't know. I'd be really curious if there are interviews with Yasmin Finney about how she feels about this part and being addressed as, in both parts, binary and non-binary, in the pronouns that have been addressed to her character and then this non-binary scene. It's very confusing, I must say. Like, I don't know what the intention was. They go to enormous lengths to say repeatedly. At one point, Tennant says, she's fine, she's safe, you saved her. And there's a pause before her. And it's like he takes a breath to really expel it, really be like, this is what she is, right? She's a trans woman and we're calling her her. So anyone else who has a problem with that can fuck right off. That's what I took from that. And sure, they can fuck right off. So there is no question that she's a daughter. Best two girls in the world, says Sean Temple at one point. It's repeated over and over again and yeah I don't know quite where a trans woman falls on the binary non-binary thing I assume some feel differently to others so I don't know in essence I don't know sure I'm not massively informed of this Marie is quite informed on this and I've gathered a lot of stuff by sharing a life with her <laughs> but the way I see it is that if you were talking about this in a nice 2023 way binary should just be exploded in general like everything should be non-binary man and woman sit on a spectrum just like every other gender identity out there and dealing it with the way they did in this episode just felt odd that was my takeaway it's like i don't know if it's good or bad i've seen some comments from the lgbtqi plus community and lots of people seem to enjoy this lots of people seem to appreciate the representation see it as positive i haven't really seen that many negative things coming from that community i haven't sought it out either but I think maybe, uh, yeah, it's just something I don't fully understand. Maybe we don't understand. And what we yeah. see is not the best treatment, maybe, is either a good treatment or just good enough. I don't know. Yeah, from it's... a lot of people's perspective, flawed representation is better than no representation, perhaps, at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's also a possibility. But also to your point before, Drew, that they really make a point of enunciating pronouns, like really, really rarely are there this many references to the gender of any character's child. I get that. But 
But I think that's also possibly a reaction to the fact that there is very little trans representation on TV. And as such, at least as you're trying to forge a presence for a sizable slice of society, you have to make that point loudly in order to make that point at all. So I, I didn't take it as like, oh, that's poor writing or anything like that. I thought that was a perfectly fair and justifiable thing. What I thought was poor writing, though, was the ending and, hate to say it, that pronoun scene. I think that was also slightly... Which one? Because there are a couple. The one with the meep. Oh, right, yes. That's the one you were referring to before, right, Jim? Yeah, I raised it as... I think it's good because it almost worked as a natural segue into a discussion about pronouns. It didn't quite. But I think it's not unbelievable that Rose would be sat there and would be calling out when someone is just assuming pronouns. That's not that unreasonable to me. And then there's the yeah. nice little thing that it's the meep and the doctor, and there's a recognition there. It's I thought that was brilliant, really, by the way. It's not quite part of the same conversation in a way, but, you know, it lends itself to it. it yeah, good. anyway, what were you going to say, Leon? Well, I was going to say, I really enjoyed the fact that attention is brought to personal pronouns, and that the culmination of that conversation is, well, my pronouns are always the definite article, I'm always the meep, and as you said, Doc goes, oh, I have some experience of that. I like that as the end end of wherever that conversation goes but i thought maybe rtd did slightly too much writing around it in order to like really say this is what this conversation is about i think that conversation can have been handled much more neatly just by saying oh hang on you're the meep is that your name is that the name of your species who are you what are your pronouns where are you from which universe are you coming from and maybe as doc goes what are your pronouns pan to rose and rose acknowledges that yeah that's a very valuable question to ask but to stop the action after like holy fuck there's an alien in the house there are such things as aliens a spaceship has crashed we're like literally 15 seconds away from a firefight to then like stop everything and have this long conversation about it seemed very unnatural to me yeah and that is definitely a problem with rtd's doctor who back in the day and all doctor who really just to wrap up the binary thing because they showed a clip of donna at the beginning going binary 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 so we were keyed in we were clued as to this is going to be a thing. Mm. In Journey's End, the word binary is some not quite referred to part of the TARDIS electronics. The Dr. Donna is telling the Doctor that, you know, you can fix the chameleon circuit if you just tried hot binding the fragment links and superseding the binary, 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 and that's just when her brain happens to fritz. So it's nothing to do with the metacrisis itself or anything more than just what he needs to do to fix it looking like a blue box. So all this is is a nice bit of wordplay, and RTD looked back through his scripts and thought, you know, that really works. It's not even a retcon, it's just a coincidence. RTD wrote the script, Tennant and Tate were in the cast, and they thought, let's use that and foist mm. so it's just another layer in which again lazy no sci-fi attempt explanation is made yeah. okay i think we should take a step back from this topic and segue to something else because i can segue yes. time on it segue away please because talking of scenes that just interrupt the flow for no good reason why the fuck oh, yeah. does Doc, after, let's get this context correct, after he has used yeah. the Sonic to generate some shields, pin in that, oh, um, <laughs> take a point to explain what the fuck the Sonic screwdriver is and why it can get rid of the mortar between the, the bricks 
That yeah, is just when because Disney. When also he says this works great on concrete, Sean Temple rightly points out it's not concrete. And saying the word sonic screwdriver to someone who at all costs must be stopped from remembering them is rather tempting fate. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> agrees. He's just like waving it around. <laughs> like, Don't worry about it. There are aliens and everything. And I'm a uh, <laughs> chap. Come into my blue box. It'll be all fine. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you're right. Not particularly discreet. At no point does he go, you know what? My name's John Smith. I'm mm. just, here's a crap alibi. Here's my psychic paper to show you that I'm with the Salvation Army or something. You know, like I'm, I'm just because, knocking on doors, just checking that everything's fine. Because this is the biggest hand wave of this episode. It's not that is. she sees the Doctor, it's that she remembers him. And yeah. all of this actually wasn't really a problem because she knows about aliens. Everyone on Earth knows about aliens. She happens to not- bumble through an encounter and doesn't see it. But I feel like they try and just hand wave the whole threat of her remembering stuff. Nothing yeah. is really triggering uh, her memory. There's a couple sure of I- points where she starts referring to Doctor by name and stuff. But this is way later in the episode where she's literally seen an alien been hanging around with the dock for a good 20 minutes or something. I just feel like they just threw the risk out the window. They didn't quite hand wave it because she did miss the whole spaceship crashing. Sylvia Noble does everything she can to prevent, to divert, to be like, let's go somewhere else. That's not an alien. It's just a little, it's an animal or something. Let's let him deal with it and go away. So Sylvia knows what the score is. So RTD on some level does know what the score is. In Journey's End, after Donna has had her memories wiped, Tennant stands up from the sofa and introduces himself to her as John Smith. Oh, really? So what you suggest... Oh, I missed that. I totally missed that. What you suggest is absolutely what he should do again. Yeah, I'm John Smith. Yeah, don't you remember me? I have this vague memory of meeting you a long time ago, and you were I must just have one of those faces. Yeah, and you were too engrossed with what was happening on your phone. Even when you directly looked at me in Journey's End, she does this twice to recognise me. So him just being in the same room as her, as you're saying, isn't the problem. It's, right. it's doing all the doctory things and saying it's a sonic screwdriver. I guess it's not hand wave, Jim. It's deliberate. The doctor is deliberately made an idiot. He so is an idiot in this. This yeah. breaks through all Donna's mental defences. Yeah. And he was so cautious before. He does pop in and see if she's okay. But yeah, he goes by his pseudonym at least. And this episode, there's nothing. Nothing at all. He's just straight in there. Oops. Oh, damn. I'm talking to an alien. Oh, dear. Yeah, I let slipped. I got two hearts. Oh, yeah, this is my sonic screwdriver. Oh, would you like to see it closer up? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So when they are both together in the bisected maxifold, and why does a maxifold need to bisect, by the way? Is that, so that a load-bearing wall needed for takeoff? It's so that it mimics or echoes that Wilf scene in End of Time. Yeah. Partly, it also echoes something else. But it's only then when they're either side of the screen when Tennant could which he does he could tell Donna which switches to flip and she does she flips a few of them does perfectly well makes something with the meat go wrong he could carry on doing that but no it's then only then after an hour of waving his dick in front of her face saying remember this you didn't want this 15 years ago that he gets all sad and oh oh no I have to do the one thing I swore I'd never do which I've been doing as much as I can since I got here yeah. Well, at this rate, they might as well have left the Dr. Donna resolution until the next episode. There's been so many careless actions on Doc's part 
yeah. that he might as well just keep going, flip switches, do this, do that, blah, 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 blah. And yep. she remains oblivious at the very end. And then he almost treats her like a new companion. Where are Ooh. you from? Are you a time traveler? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I am. You don't remember this. You know, he to himself realizes she doesn't remember anything. Maybe I can have a brand new first adventure with Donna. I would love to travel through space and time with you. Let's go on one adventure. Okay, fine. Just one. And then she spills coffee and done. And then at the end of the next one, they have more time. She doesn't just wish it out of existence. There is an actual sci-fi explanation for how this whole thing resolves. Maybe Rose is the catalyst. Who knows? But either way, you're right. At the end of this, there's no need to rush the drama on Tennant's part of, fuck, i got to scream inside this spaceship. How else am I going to save this? Ugh. Yeah. But it's not even rushed because this is one of those scenes that Jim is saying they just stop time for. He spends a good one or two or three minutes going, why does it have to be this way? Why this? And they just talk back and forth. And there's a countdown going on. That's time. why you're hating this, isn't it? <laughs> and this is all time that he could be telling clueless Donna, not Dr. Donna, at length. Flip that one there. No, that one there. And you need to spin this as fast as you can. No, your other left. And yeah. this whole bank of switches, which all they ever do is flick all of them up. You see all those? Flick them all up. You've lost no time. You've achieved as much as you would anyway. And that's why it's all so false and stupid and annoying. And what I mentioned before, another callback, in addition to the one you referred to, is when Donna becomes the Dr. Donna, she just techno-babbles, starts flicking switches. This is exactly like her very last appearance on the show. Oh, right. Nothing has changed. Nothing has moved forward. I've completely forgotten this stuff. It's it's not quite a retread, but it's very close. Right. Okay. Which, given RTD has had 15 years to come up with new shit, 13, I guess. Yeah, a little underwhelming. It may also be that Disney has a hand in this. Ah, but that's a very convenient excuse, isn't it? Slash, this is also a remake of a comic book and an audiobook. I must admit, I had the exact same experience as you did, Leon, where I watched this the first time round. I kind of enjoyed it. And the second time round, not so much. Partly because yeah. making notes and being more reviewy. But after the first time round, even, I couldn't help but feel like there was a decent script here. And then Russell T. Davis came along and decided he wanted <laughs> to do some stuff to it. Because there are so many things that just felt not completely rounded off or just a little bit... Oh, Oh, I'm just going to dump that thing there. Um, we'll polish it up later, maybe. And there were some nice ideas. There was, it's a, a bit of a throwaway plot as a whole, like Alien comes, it looks to be cute, but it's actually really the bad guy, blah, 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 whatever. It's you not just described the, most... the entire plot there, Jim, in eight words. Yeah, that's yeah. it. There are those side things. There's these insectoid soldiers that also pretend to be bad and, well, are presented as bad, but then end up being the good guys. You know, it's nothing groundbreaking by any stretch of the imagination but it was kind of okay i think underneath little bits here and there that just felt like someone had gone in afterwards and it never got any kind of editorial review after said person had gone through it that was my impression watching it the first time the second time i'm just not sure if he just wrote it from the start and i don't know i just can't help shaking this feeling when i think it was you drew that told me about the iplayer stuff and it's like he basically has been given so much He's just said, I'm only going to come back if you do this. I'm only going to come back if you do that. And they've done this and that. So how much control are they really putting on him? I don't know. I'm being a bit mean. The guy has produced some wonderful stuff. 
but I don't know. It just, it just feels Doctor like Who twice now. Yeah, it feels like, and this is definitely more to the second episode, but it feels like George Lucas in prequel land, where it's just <laughs> no one is overseeing this who has a critical eye anymore. It's just the brainchild being let out of the jar and no one controlling it. No one's saying no. Well, yeah. I don't know to what degree Disney has an influence at this point or knowing that Disney is in the background just on the cusp of releasing huge sums of money has an input on decisions here. But this is a remake. It's not the first time, but it is nonetheless a remake of a comic book, which was also turned into an audiobook. I started listening to the audiobook. I really meant to listen to the whole thing for this. But from what I can gather, that story is essentially this story. And then on top of that story or into that story, they've shoved the reunion of Doctor and Donna. The original was the fourth Doctor. Yeah. And obviously the Metacrisis situation as well. And Rose. Yeah. Donna and her entire family. So that's all new, but it's new stuff that's been shoved into an episode that was already there, which is, I think, also one of the reasons why part of the resolution for Donna and her family, to me, seem really rushed. There's already a story to get on with. Yeah. That's what I mean. All the heart is a bolt on. The plot is already there. Yeah. I totally get it and just agree. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We mentioned the money. Uh Doesn't this episode look $10 million? The production value is absolutely freaking off the chart. It's mad how Marvel it looks. (laughs) Well, yes. I went online specifically after the show ended to put on Facebook, I want a trademark calling unit the Uengers because that's what their <laughs> HQ looks like. It it's looks the like the Avengers building. Fucking image. It looks exactly like the Avengers building. Yes. Like straight up exactly like whatever it is, Stark Towers or something. Absolutely. I don't know if I really massively thought it was particularly high production values or low production values. But I did notice the Roth Warriors. They felt very, not quite wobbly classic Doctor Who, but not (laughs) far off. That is not out of the Avengers. That is not out of contemporary sci-fi. That is kitschy Doctor Who. Like when they first show up and they're chasing Fudge, that absolutely looked like Ice Warriors from Classic Who. That was great. I loved it. But then that scene, that street firefight scene oh, that, that went pans on for across. Ages. You get to see Roth Warriors there as well. And they already look amazing. Everything looks amazing in this episode. When they're really tall on their grasshopper legs and you see them at their full height, they're pretty impressive. Yeah. The spaceship set slash prop. Holy moly. That's mad. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Production value off the charts. I would question how good Tennant just floating in space saying, Once upon a time, Lord, could look. I don't think it was a good choice. No, I hated that. That whole intro. That whole intro can eat my whole ass. I hated it. I hated him like a, you're choosing your computer game avatar. (laughs) Yes! uh, And and then cut to Donna Noble just sitting by her laptop or in her kitchen or something, inexplicably staring into the camera. This is a recap for a new audience that is worthwhile for three episodes save the new audience for three episodes from now isn't that the better choice yeah yeah i hated that intro okay it sounds like you got the same intro then because i watched this on disney plus and i did have a question whether it was the same but i wasn't sure if this was one of these things they do when it's oh this is international audience
audience. They don't have a clue what's going on. Here's a little recap for them. But this was on right. the, yeah, yeah. the BBC version as well. Yeah, this was broadcast live on the BBC. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty awful. I didn't even watch it the second time around, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we segue from that to what chronologically happens next, namely the new intro sequence, the opening theme, the new music, the new everything? Absolutely, let's hear it. Let's jump into some superficial stuff. I bet you've got opinions. <laughs> it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's stunning. To see the TARDIS trailing wisps of stellar cloud I love it, it when one of the corners just touches the edge of the vortex and it's oh, beautiful, throbbing throughout the entire thing. Magnificent intro. I listened back to the 13th Doctor intro or watched back to the 13th Doctor intro. You know what? Not as bad as I remembered, weirdly. But mm-hmm. by comparison, this is still miles ahead of that. So stunning. Yeah. Outro music, though? Hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah. I ventilated there. <laughs> Could do without that, yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a landline in over 30 years, for good reason. <laughs> that was all people did in the 80s. Before the internet was the porn-topia for the world, people would get their kicks by ringing up randoms, just going... <gasps> that was the 80s. Right, no, I, yeah. I missed that. <laughs> Jim, you remember the 80s in the UK. It was Margaret Thatcher and that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's the calls. only memories I have. <laughs> disturbing being a child of the 80s yeah no i don't know that at all anyway i want to move on to something else i want to move on to two things that might bother me if by the end of the third uh, episode nearly did it again we don't have explanations for them the main thing is why the fuck is it david tennant again i'm not actually hopeful that we're going to get an explanation for that but who Wonder knows? Space, oh, yeah. okay. The I think we will. other thing, which I'm 99% convinced we won't get an explanation because the explanation had to be in this episode and it wasn't, is why is there no disembogulation after the regeneration? This is just straight out the gate, running along, happy to be the Doctor again. Doesn't matter that I've just regenerated. Okay, I don't think he has just regenerated by the time we see him here. I know that they have published a comic or something which was so sad the 14th Doctor's first adventure. It was acknowledged as canonical by RTD, I think. So the Doctor's already been running around for a bit before we see him. And there's well, the uh, Red Nose Day special. Fuck that shit. Oh, yeah, I didn't well. see it. I don't know about it. I just watched TV stuff. That's not fun. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, Jim, that your lack of hope or lack of optimism for an explanation of a point was going to concern the meep saying, A creature with two hearts, just wait till I tell the boss. If the toy maker has been behind this the whole time and he is the boss, then he would know that the doctor has two hearts. This would not be new information to him. I I had the same thought as well. So there must be another, I assume there's another. A bigger boss. Or a different boss. Oh, right. A boss that will only get to in Shooty's era. Well, I guess that'll keep people watching. Watching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also assume that there will be an explanation next episode, and I assume that it's the toy maker. Essentially, that is the explanation. In, in which case, what I just said stands. Uh, May it please the court. In the celestial toy maker, the toy maker proved himself capable of messing with the doctor's appearance, and it's possible that that's what he's done here to a degree. I mean, okay, yeah. So he's manipulated a whole regeneration, but yeah, it seems reasonable. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'll, I mean, I'll uh, be proven wrong in a couple of days' time. <laughs> This is not really review material for this episode per se. This is me knowing no, already that there is another one and I have watched it and it also wasn't explained. Spoilers. <laughs> that is true. So I asked you this, Jim, before we pressed record. 
did you guys think or did you expect to see the toy maker across this entire series of specials? Because I had avoided all teasers, trailers, yada, 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 as you very well know. But I had seen ages ago, like a year ago or whatever, a lot of buzz around Barney from How I Met Your Mother (laughs) showing up in this. And there was the picture of him in outfits and everyone was going to go, that's probably the the toy maker. Dougie, who's he? (laughs) I assumed that this was going to be a series of toy maker. He was essentially the big bad of this trilogy. Yeah. As you said, Jim, we've had two episodes, nary a toy maker. Well, as you say, RTD over the last goodness knows how long, it seems like forever, has been generating nothing but buzz. Every day, there's something new. And so at some point, I will have thought, oh great, we're going to get a three episode arc, the Doctor going tete-a-tete with the toy maker from beginning to end. And then at some point, he released another detail about episode one, not episode two, because he kept that very secret, but it became increasingly clear, like, oh okay, maybe not, probably not, I don't know whatever shut up already get on with the episode okay right yeah (laughs) see that's the kind of stuff that i missed by avoiding spoilers interesting okay yeah i just expected neil patrick harris to be in something i probably did assume it would be the first episode because okay that was the one that was released on the 60th anniversary or close to and the rest of them have been falling a bit later. That's the other thing. As 60th anniversary goes, this doesn't feel like much of a spectacle. And the second one, even less so, but we're not talking about that now. This does feel a bit of a letdown. Probably in retrospect, we have to treat these as three that kind of come together. And maybe the third one is where the spectacle comes. But, you know, there's, there's, no, ones, yeah. oh, there's sure. no ensemble cast of past doctors for a start. It's just hyper-focused. Again, second episode even more so. But even here, it's so around the Doctor and Donna and Donna's family. It almost feels like the Meep isn't much of a thing. I know it's the plot, but it's just, it's so kind of like non-important. It's just, oh yeah, that will get wrapped up, whatever. What's really we happening? We really talked about the Meep, by the way. Yeah, because, Jim, Jim, what is that to say? Meep? <laughs> Actually, I do have something to say about the Meep. Here we Actually, go, I knew you would. I freaking loved the Meep when I first saw it. It was really cute and really, really funny. I hate the evil meat. The evil meat can suck balls. It's terrible. Sorry, Miriam Margles. You did a wonderful performance, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, what is left on the table is just cartoonish crap. But the cute meep, yeah, more of that, please. <laughs> oh, wow, I'm the exact opposite. Please be my friend. Oh, Why I hated you that. speak to the little meep? Oh. Be my friend. <laughs> be my friend. And, I hated uh, the meep at I first. Hurt my uh, what have I that? Meep speaking to toys, asking them to be her friend. Fuck in all caps. I loved <laughs> it. Hated it. Hated you, it. You I pulled its tummy most, out. Yeah, cunning and deceptive. The meep knows exactly what toys are, but it is taking innocence to ridiculous levels. I suppose that is actually true. Yeah, maybe that is clever. Yeah, I Only st- something I still... that naive could say something that daft. It still grossed me out. Ugh, yeah, no. Kiddlywinks things on TV grossed me out a little bit. I'm no, sorry. Didn't it make a brilliant contrast with the absolute cartoonish villain later? Which, sorry, Jim, but I love it when anyone chews the scenery. I want to be <laughs> acted to sitting in the back row by some Shakespearean blowhard. Yeah, and as a fan of classic Who villains, I can only agree with you. <laughs> uh, Completely on board with that. In the minority here. (laughs) 
Yeah, the, whole, right. the whole auditorium is echoing with the <laughs> overwork. Well, I guess you probably also loved how many characters are just sat on their own or stood on their own talking to the sky or to the camera. Because <laughs> the Meep does Wait, that example. one. As soon as the Meep is in the spaceship, the Meep is just talking to itself. Oh, yeah. Rose, oh, right. You're right. Rose is part of the descendo of the binary, non-binary stuff. She's not stood behind the console thing with the microphone anymore. She's just stood out as if she She's talking to Donna and Doc, who are in the spaceship still. Wait, that's yeah. so true. I like, actually, even on two viewings, took that to be a dialogue. Like, I took those three characters to be talking to each other. Yeah, there's and one bit the where she Donna. has the microphone. That's it. Yeah, and when it's the Doctor Donna, it's not like they're telepathic. So, yeah, she isn't telepathic with those two. Or even if it was, telepathy yeah, that means you don't have to move your lips. Well, yeah. There's that as well. <laughs> Lazy yeah. telepathy. No, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably just that entire scene where it's, as soon as the spaceship got involved, they didn't know how to write them to have conversations where they're separated. Yeah. For a start, you could bring in Sean Noble, who's just may as well not appear in this episode. <laughs> like, why are you here? He was still very charming, I thought. He was I nice. when he but... <laughs> came into the kitchen and there's a fucking motion in the shed quote, F-bomb and everything. Uh, <laughs> and he just goes... Something smells nice. I love that. I, I, that was yeah. good. Well delivered. <laughs> Anyone want to talk Sonic with me? Oh, please take the lead. Oh. I can add something to that. <sighs> yeah. Oh, that's two. Drew, do you want to follow? Honestly, my initial reaction was, oh, okay, some jazzy new features. Okay. <laughs> so I made a note of the features <laughs> as I went through. Here are the things the Sonic can do. It can cut through metal fencing. Yep. It can open regular doors. It can open spaceship doors. It can create virtual computer touchscreen monitors that somehow tie into the TARDIS computer. <laughs> It can create force fields from nothing that are bulletproof. It can reverberate mortar, not concrete. It can intercept teleports. Oh, it can, yes. It can hack spaceship computers. Wait, wait. The intercept teleport feature, I believe, only works if you say intercept teleport. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, it does nothing. Actually, the one thing that really pissed me off was the force field. That was too much. That was just no, Sonic. No, no. Yeah. A lot of the new features you've described are things that would be more appropriate for a laser screwdriver. Okay. <laughs> or something that's visual rather than... A hollow like screwdriver. That's... Yes. Yes, exactly. Make it holographic. Make it visual. Yeah, you're, yeah. that's such a good point. I can sort of almost kind of quasi get on board <laughs> with him drawing a computer in thin air and then using it. That, that's like, okay, fine. All right. You will never want for a computer again. Fuck. We're but, never going to be in that situation. We're like, oh, if I can only get to a portal. Oh, wait, hang on. I have a screwdriver. I can make a computer out of nothing. But the second you can do that out of nothing, you can make a force field out of nothing. Yeah, that's a good point. So actually, you know what? I'm not on board with that either. The, the force <laughs> field was really just a, no, eat me. This is a device that can get out of absolutely any situation. And, I, and, I don't approve. Not out of any situation because it's like, okay, what we need to do is we need to stay between the upper and lower bounds of these two force fields so they can't shoot us. Now let's all run up the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to say, on first viewing, when you don't... Well, actually, which way around it is? No, it's the... Which way around is it, Jim? The meep... What was that, Yoda? Infused... <laughs> 
soldiers are shooting from the front door and they are the ones that are trying to kill people yeah i think that's what ends up the other guys have stun guns basically but the way the graphics are done because doc has to draw and it's a fucking labored scene that's my biggest pet peeve it's so labored him just like oh here you go i'm drawing out this shield for you everyone's just gobsmacked what the fuck's he doing it's very obvious the second time at least stop close your mouth come on that's not what a sonic screwdriver does well quite probably but anyway he's labored it so far he's got both of the little shielded bits they go up the staircase the camera is now on the stairs looking down what do we see oh because he's had to push it out the doorway there's a big fucking gap isn't there just where they could (laughs) shoot you when you're on the stairs Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. Yeah, he could turn anyway. around and just go, right, just elongate that. And then we wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd be saying, well done, RTD. You bested <laughs> us there. At this point, if the sonic screwdriver can just create matter out of nothing, this is not just going to create bulletproof shields. This is going to be, oh, how do we leap across this crevasse? No worries. I'm going to draw a thing and then I'm going to place it over it. This is now a walkway. How do we prevent being sucked out into the vacuum of space? No worries. I'm just going to draw something and place it over the hole in the hole it's too yeah. easy why doesn't everyone have a sonic screwdriver why isn't everyone protected by a force field at all times yeah i so. don't think i even mind that something could do that yes it's a bit annoying but just make it something else give him another device maybe it's a real energy slurping device that he can't use very often to create solid matter the interface in the air that could all be virtual whatever augmented reality shit I don't want that to be the Sonic's feature either, but if it has to be the Sonic, fine, whatever. Solid matter stuff, leave it somewhere else. Let's do a different thing for that. And it could have just been a new bit of kit you introduce for this soft reboot. Why not give the Doctor a different device? Make something new. endlessly productive inventor. I'm also not on board with that, by the way. I'm so sorry. There are certain forms of progress, technological progress, I'm not on board with because they make life too easy. However, I have a... destroy physics. Yeah, I have a solution for this, though. It doesn't have to be his device. There's already a firefight going on. It could be a device that belongs to one of the two sides. For example, the Wrath Warriors, one of them gets shot or their stun gun, whatever. Their device gets shot out of their hand. He picks it up. He goes, oh, I've always wanted to try one of these. Boom. Draws shields in the air. Done. Now he has a device that we don't have to have in every single bloody episode of the show going forward. You know why it isn't that way, though? Why is that? Because the new Sonic toy that Disney will be bringing out next year it will allow you to point it at a wall and project various Doctor Who-y computer screen like graphics on it. And you can be like, oh, yeah, I'm the Doctor. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cynical, but probably true. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> They'd be mad not to. But the thing that still massively bugs me, and I know I've mentioned this already. Massively Donald... bugs you? Is it the Roth Warriors? Uh, yeah funnily enough after we've seen it do all this stuff and admittedly the people who are watching at that point haven't seen it do the project uh, computer interface into the air but we know all the ridiculously complicated things the sonic can do the thing he explains is it vibrating mortar yeah it just doesn't yeah, explain right. the rest of it that's the thing he's most <laughs> proud of oh uh, yeah it's sonic it can vibrate <laughs> Fuck off, Doc. What are you talking about? (laughs) Explain the rest of it. And he gets the material wrong. Yes, which is also (laughs) ridiculous. But then that gives Sean Temple a reason to exist. Although, I love the scene between Sean and Doc in the taxi when they're talking about Neris. How's Neris? Oh, she's fine. After that accident. Well, not fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that was nice. 
Nerys is fine, not fine, been fine. Has been love fine. Love that, love yeah, that. Absolutely. But even that That's scene, one of my likes. Even that scene is ruined by the Doctor going, I know roads which taxi drivers and cars don't know about. And every subsequent scene, you see them driving down a road followed by another car. <laughs> <laughs> Like, these are not secret roads. If they dived into the old... And this is London. They could dive into the old post office rail tunnel or something and bounce along down there for a while. And Sean goes, yeah, I can see why no one knows about this. Bing bong. Or drive down a trap street. Bing bong. They have such opportunity. Like, make it out CGI, whatever. Make it not quite make sense. But I was expecting something better than, oh, yeah, that road's actually not empty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. They are driving to a power plant, so presumably people do commute there on a daily basis. <laughs> there is infrastructure in place already, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and how lax, by the way, while we're on the subject, is unit security when the dock can just hop into the back of a departing truck? Yeah. Well, There's nobody looking in their wing mirrors. Well, you say that, but I actually really like that. I mean, it, it was, was a cool so charming. move. So but... charming. Yeah. And the new science officer who's there just kind of winking and like, yeah, I knew you were going to jump on the back of that truck. Nice one. You mean Shirley Ann Bingham, Unit Scientific Advisor number 56. That's exactly right. Let's, That's exactly let's say right. good things about her because she's really nice. I warm to her immediately. More of her, please. Same. Absolutely, completely same. There we yeah. go. She was cool. Nice she so. has a prior <laughs> RTD connection. Oh, really? She appeared as Rosie Lyons in Years and Years. Do you remember that, Jim? I try and block it out of my head, but yes. <laughs> yes, oh, I do. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> I forgot that was the one you hated. <laughs> Which one's yeah. Years and Years? The so-called sci-fi series of apocalypse and is it apocalypse i don't know but all the world's turning it's, to it's shit R- it's rtd's nightmarish vision of the uk's near future yeah. oh yeah i've not seen this i'm dystopia i, I guess I, am i interested in watching it no <laughs> save right. yourself i'm not interested in watching it that came through loud and clear still well done this time ruth madeley <laughs> yeah great I character didn't, didn't look it up but actually is sylvia in that as well is rtd known for popping in with the same oh. uh, actors from time to time well neil patrick harris was in it since so yes i think he definitely develops favorites but that to me also feels like a disney move i'm not saying necessarily it's a casting choice made by disney but it feels like a casting choice based on the fact that there's a disney audience now as well let's get a hollywood actor in here yeah sorry jacqueline king was not in years and years no that's universe b i think that's when that casting happened oh well How do you feel about Unit? We started talking about Unit there. So the new science officer, great. Yep. Love some stuff that shoots stuff that you don't expect to. Yeah, very cool. Always an easy thrill. We haven't seen that much of Unit yet, but Unit seems slightly more militaristic now than oh, previously. Very 2000 AD was how I saw it. It was like fascist uniforms waiting for a so-called strong yeah. leader to just come along and get them chanting, Hail to the Meep! Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, they weren't there for being unit. They were there for the inevitable, we're going to get mind controlled and turned into the bad guys. It didn't really feel like unit even from New Who, let alone Classic Who, where they were basically just a branch of the military. Yeah. Yeah, and also what happened to didn't people in unit have psychic training? Was that not something that Oh, what was the, that? Hmm. Oh, to withstand psychic manipulation or yeah, something. Yeah, and I, I get that perhaps they haven't encountered solar psychedelia before, but boy did they succumb to it easily. Immediately. This is supposed to be grunts. the best and brightest, and I'm not talking about the eyes. <laughs> 
yeah, maybe that is just they're the grunts and well, the unit shouldn't deal in grunts. It's what Jim's saying. Well, like, well, this unit is... is supposed to be set apart. They're supposed to be better than this. I'm I'm on board for that as well. The only thing that kind of bothered me about it, so I found the science officer a great character. We need a science officer, just like we had Osgood before. Now we have what's her name again? Shirley Ann Bingham. Bingo. I mentioned this to Jim before. Not Shirley Ann Bingo. Shirley Ann Bingham. I was in the <laughs> same room as Osgood just a couple of days ago. So what? Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you about it later. Anyway, that's what unit is to me. Like you have science officers or sciencey people, people who are into science, and then you have the massive strategist at the top, your bagels and kegels. But, <laughs> but here, the science officer deliberately turns her back to Doc, deliberately goes, don't worry about it, you stay out of this, I'll do this one. Mm. It, it's great meeting you, I'm going to get a raise just for having met you, but like, don't worry about it, don't need you. And he's like, what the fuck, what? That's not what you should be. <laughs> Unit shouldn't just be like one science officer who's ignored by all the hypnotized soldiers to me. Yeah. What it said to me was, I'm establishing a sassy, strong female character who's overawed by nobody. I think what happened is that there's a deleted scene where, I've double-checked the name, Major Singh is interacting with Shirley as well. And there is an establishment of there being two named characters in Unit that we should care about and Ah. will carry on. Whereas what we get is just a random major thing. Take your people away. Oh, okay then. Bye. And that's it. So Major Singh finds her and says, Unit B are behaving very strangely. And she says, yeah, you wouldn't believe. I think they've been solar psychedeliaized. And he says, Shirley, you cannot be serious. And then RTD (laughs) thought that's too obvious. Well played, Drew, well played. Even for me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so do you think Singh was meant to be sort of the Benton of this unit's version? I don't know. Did he end up getting shot? I've forgotten now. A lot of yeah, people around so. him got shot, but, but Singh, okay. I believe, will have survived. Okay. Even though I mean, I, a helmet. I would very much like that to happen. I think that's something that, I think unit needs that other person. Often Agreed. it's Kate Stewart, obviously in New Who, but she wasn't here this time. She was referenced, so presumably she is still running unit yeah. and she will pop up. That was Maybe. the heartwarming moment when she was mentioned in reportage as looking after Wilf, like exactly. a Chelsea pensioner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that Which was lovely. slightly weirded me out as well. Not weirded me out. I did have introductory questions. One of them was, unit looks after Wilf, so why wouldn't the scientific advisor react to Doc mentioning Donna? Mm. Science officer doesn't know who Donna is. How many pensioners does unit look after? Can't be that <laughs> many. There's the one, and he has a granddaughter, namely this person. <laughs> Wilf is from the Wuwa, and so his generation understands the value of keeping secrets and he knows that if he mentions Donna although they could just do an electoral role search they could <laughs> they could very easily trace his family tree it doesn't depend on him keeping secrets but yeah I like to think that he thought discretion was the better part of Valor because Wilf never makes a wrong decision whatever he decided to do that made the plot work but Unit will know all of Doc's companions yeah yeah anyway doesn't matter <laughs> I like Unit in general in this episode with the exception of the fact that we get to see so very little of what Unit should actually be but the next time probably we will get to see more of unit because we'll get to see the avengers building and the UNGES building that's right let's wait and judge then i have two questions i would like to ask you about unit oh, one nice. is do you support their newfound approach to journalism where they just grab <laughs> reporters on live air and throw them into the back of a van conveniently forget about the camera person though that's question one <laughs> 
You can submit yeah, your answers. Matt Green, by the way. Yeah, I recognised him. I didn't really know his name, but yeah, he's a comedian as well. You didn't, haven't heard of Optics. He's a YouTuber, political satirist. Yeah, comedian. Guy. That's where I recognise oh, him. Oh right, he's yeah, not yeah. a BBC guy. No, he's. Uh, oh, okay. I don't think so. I didn't realise. He does these things where he makes fun of Tories. It's pretty hilarious. He plays all the different. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Look him up, Matt Green. Yeah. So you think they can just ride roughshod over a nation's values and media standards and whatever? Okay, so yeah, it's not particularly doesn't feel unity. Sensible. No. Nope. Yeah. So far, already decreasing my onboardedness with units. Okay. Next question, Jim. Uh, next question. <laughs> Shirley is very aware of every incarnation of the Doctor, and then is surprised that Doc is using the face of a previous version and mistakes him for that version. And then when he talks about his past, but previous incarnations future, she's like, oh, wait, you're not meant to know that. But Unit knows all this. Unit knows because they've been visited by all these different... So it's basically establishing that Unit, every time they interact with the Doctor, has taken it upon themselves to keep secret future incarnations because they might have been visited out of order. Very good point. Yeah, that's it's, a very good point. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. Is that believable? It also presupposes that they just know more about stuff than Doc. Yeah. It also presupposes that Shirley is the first member of Unit to encounter this Doctor. As in, this Doctor hasn't travelled back in time and encountered other members of Unit at some point. This is the first contact between Unit and 14. I can believe that. So make a bigger deal out of it. Don't turn your back on him. She's sassy. She's <laughs> foolish. Imagine the size of the remunerative the compensation review that she will experience if she actually has a conversation with the 14th doctor. Yeah, she's going to get a bonus just for meeting him. Imagine if she did some useful work while they were talking. She's going to go back to Kegel's and go, I met the doctor. She's going, oh, right, the latest one's like, yes, the latest one. Oh, you mean 13? Actually, 14. What? Says Kegel's. Did you take any notes? What did you ask? Her? Him? They? Them? Who? Who? Who yeah, is it? Back t up your assertion in any way. Do you have a photo of this new doctor? Uh, uh, because, it looked you know, a remarkably like the 11th, but wears a new suit and different glasses. Tense, but, but yes. sorry, <laughs> yes. But otherwise, uh, actually, I just was really sassy and ignored him. Also, I'm saying him, I'm assuming that pronoun. I didn't stick around long enough to ask. Great, says Kegels. You're fired, <laughs> uh, Shirley. You're the worst scientific advisor ever. Bring in number 57. Exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> well exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> and it turns out it's just Shirley regenerating it looking exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Shirley playing a prank on Kegel, showing up with a different scarf or something. Yeah, no, I'm definitely <laughs> the next number along. <laughs> it's the Zygon version of Shirley. And Kegel's oh, yeah. like, which one are you? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Zerly. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. I have an issue with the very last line of the what, episode. What is the very last line? We could end up anywhere in time and space. That's the whole fucking point. That's always been the point. <laughs> we could end up anywhere in time and space. Did you hear that? Did you catch that? New Disney audience? Did you catch that? That's why that but it's line not is in there. You. Do you know what? The this Disney TARDIS doesn't just go a mile across London to Will's retirement home. It can go further than that. I know what you're saying, but yeah. still. <laughs> the whole end scene is terrible. <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have a new machine. Do you like extra froth on your spillage device? Is that yeah. what you need? What it was? <laughs> also, the fact that they've gone from very, very British custard creams to American coffee machine, Disney. <laughs> <laughs>
We don't want to hear about Bourbon biscuits. We got Nescafe paying us millions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every fifth image that the new 2024 14th Doctor Sonic screwdriver will project onto project, your wall. Yes is George Clooney sipping from Tassimo, whatever the <laughs> fuck it is, with those pods. That's what it's going to be. And you'll like it, kids. Yeah, and that'll be the new play set afterwards. <laughs> Fake coffee. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, this, is, oh, this is the future we're heading towards. Just the coffee spill in general. That's terrible. But then the fuck that uh, the fact I was gonna say, but yeah, the fuck that the TARDIS <laughs> is on fire afterwards after spilling some coffee. It was gasoline-based coffee. Oh right, all right. You take yeah. uh, two sugars and three gasolines in your coffee, right, Donna? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. They're fine. Yeah, you've explained it. Whatever. Um, no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, this it's is the, the fucking TARDIS. Possible way. Fucking TARDIS. Oh? Tiny bit of coffee and the fucking TARDIS explodes. Fuck off. Yeah. yeah. There are moments of very childish slapstick in this and that is perhaps the biggest one of them yeah. I don't know how, and I, yeah. I kind of liked that it was the way she'd lost her previous job by spilling it over the computer but this TARDIS is brand new it has just evolved essentially to house this coffee machine and it turns out coffee is also its kryptonite at yeah. the same time <laughs> and everything else is so smooth and bing bong the word I'm looking for is impermeable Sorry, it really bugged me. Bing bong. No way you could spill coffee into it. But but yeah, the the ancient console, well, it doesn't match up with the rest of it, does it? Because Donna has to be able to spill coffee on it. And it's like, oh shit, you spilt it on the one British thing. The one non-Disney element of this TARDIS. You managed to cover with fluid and now now we're fucked. It's the worst possible way of doing it. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. (sighs) Yup. Right, with all this talk of spilling uh, beverages on the TARDIS, we have yet to actually address the TARDIS itself. We have a new TARDIS, exterior and interior. Oh, Hol- right. Holy I, moly. I didn't even notice there was a new exterior. What did you Oh, say? no, I didn't. I, oh, I think so. Oh, I'm sure there was. There usually I is. I think so. But I'm not that observant. Uh, well, now I'm not 100% sure if the St. John's ambulance... Oh, is that new? I think maybe. As in, like, it was there in classics, and maybe it's back now. I'm not... Now I'm not 100% sure about that, actually. I'm pretty... Pretty sure that it's a different hue of blue, mm. which is absolutely Stunsville. I feel like it has a slightly different texture, a texture that I just want to rub my entire body on. That TARDIS is gorgeous. Gets Love you this all woody, does it? it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but the interior, my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I watched this twice. I cried both times. Are you serious? I am completely serious. I cried wow. both times. Uh, <laughs> from your dick? No, from my face eyes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not just from my face, Nick. No, from my face eyes. <laughs> from, from the, you know, the eyes in my, up here. You can cry off your tongue. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Both the actual reveal was like, oh my goodness, I'm welling up, I'm welling up. And then there's the one bit when Donna goes, it's glorious, or something to that effect. And yeah. Tennant just looks like he's the happiest he has ever been. And he does this little dance, like he's sort of running in place. Boom, tears all over the place. Well, he's just been running up and down to every single part of it. He's essentially going, hey, we have a budget. Finally have a budget. (laughs) 
such a beautiful TARDIS that seems to harken back to so many of the classic Who aesthetics, just modernizing classic Who aesthetics. Yeah. Because it has the roundels. Yeah, and the clean white walls. Clean white walls, roundels. The roundels that also can take on different colors for different modes. They can lighten or darken the TARDIS. That's very cool. That's yeah, a yeah. nice modernization of it. Fully accessible with ramps everywhere. Well, yes. I bet Shirley Ann Bingham is going to be a passenger at some point. Oh, my God. TARDIS sass. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Uh, on board yeah no absolutely beautiful also loved those circular doors all over the place we didn't get to see any of them open but they're like a photo what do you call that uh, lens no no no, no. Oh, what's the shutter no uh maybe uh whatever you know what podcast land knows what i'm talking about like a like, like an aperture metal sphincter what's it called sorry aperture <laughs> I think Jim's right. Maybe. I thought Aperture was just the actual diameter of the opening. But yeah, regardless, stunning. Round doors. That feels sci-fi to me. Love it. (laughs) The relentless absence of gigantic crystals. Oh, perfect. Just how I like my TARDISes. Yeah. Even when Donna spilt the stuff on the console, one didn't come jaggedly through to ruin everything. Yeah. We didn't get some weird upside down crab with its legs pointing <laughs> inward towards the console. Fuck the 13th Doctor's TARDIS. That was a hideous contraption. This is beautiful. It was. But do you know oh. what? We are now one episode on from the Chibnall era. And I can look back on that era now because everybody knows that the best era of Doctor Who was the one before the current one. And he made some bold choices. <laughs> Chibbers? <laughs> yeah, you're going to see this. People are going to get into this. Being like, oh, you know what? That was better. I dare you to find four people who four. think so. Four. How long have I got? <laughs> <laughs> find four. Find four. Can I pay them? Podcast Land, if you truly prefer the previous TARDIS to this one, write in. Just pop a comment on this episode. Just do that. Just do that. Yeah. And if four of you do that four or more great then i'm golden <laughs> like the best time. i'm not saying it's the best it's not the best <laughs> jim how do you feel about it i really liked it as well it does feel like a classic tardis done with budget yes which is crossed with professor really nice x's thing. telepathy lab oh yeah oh yeah it was called yeah yeah cerebro, cerebro. nice no, oh, it was it was really a... neat and yeah tenant running in and just being a child was wonderful i know was, uh, capering freewheeling Oh my goodness. (laughs) Good stuff. Ah, Tenant, it's good to have him back. Right, guys? Oh no! Jim just gave me the finger. Why would you do that, man? Oh, oh! You should bring that up at some point before you press stop on this recording, Jim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say what you must in your minute if necessary. Anyone else uh, have one or possibly two questions they would like to raise about this episode? I have a thing. It might just be the one that I raise now. Can someone explain to me why Donna says Donna Noble is descending and why I should care? it's a reference back to the conversation that she had with rose if anyone after that really good scene where anyone has a go i will be there and i will descend yeah the first time actually i did think oh god this is donna noble ott acting but actually the second time i was like no this is really solid this is a very solid performance yeah i think it's just a reference it's a call back to that isn't it is yeah, it but jim doesn't care. but that's like jim doesn't like that's it. like jim i will shit. descend on people like i will fight for you i will go to bat for you but at this point they've done that you yeah. say that in the heat of the moment you don't say it afterwards 
So I, when, I didn't get that reference at all. When is the actual delivery? What is the context of her saying Donna Noble has descended? When they've pressed all the buttons, basically. I think she's still the Donna Doctor. Yes. Um, oh. But she just, she very calmly, and in basically the same intonation, in my mind at least, as Donna Noble has left the library, Donna Noble has been saved, which we have heard very many times because it's repeated and then it's in the previously on Dot Who or something and repeat it again. So that is ingrained in my head forever. That's the same way she says Donna Noble is descending, or near enough. And it doesn't feel like a emotional, I've saved my daughter moment. It's just, Donna Noble is descending. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't get it at all. It was weird. Oh, I thought there was a bit more feeling behind it than that. <laughs> I also remember it having a little bit more oomph. But it wasn't Maybe it's a very bit cheesy, strong. But... Yeah, it was cheesy rather than strong. Yeah. I get where you're coming from, Jim, but yeah. For me, it was just like, yeah, okay. I can see why you would see this callback about descending as a bit of a downer. I can. <laughs> Leon's still thinking about it. <sighs> okay, hang on. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> when she first says that to Rose, it's like, right, if anyone messes with my daughter, I shall descend. Yes, and now she is seeing Rose as part of the nine million people exactly. in London at risk. Exactly. There's no personal connection there. She hasn't saved the world. She's saved the city. It would have been a more powerful and suitable callback had she done something that directly and almost uniquely rescued Rose in that moment. I don't even need that, to be honest. I need her to say it before she does something. And then it's a reference to that. If she says it afterwards, it's not a reference to that. It's just a really weird line out of place. If she was the Donna Doctor, comes back, and as you said earlier, Drew, she comes back exactly as the Donna Doctor she was before, just has everything all her faculties 10 times enhanced just Even immediately goes half of them away but okay yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> she just immediately goes right donna noble is descending and just goes flip 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 blah 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 blah, blah. that would have fucking worked for me but this didn't okay okay yeah do you know what i've just had a really confusing few seconds when i said she's birthed half of the meta crisis away mm-hmm. i thought to myself at what point does the meta crisis enter the fetus slash baby and now I'm thinking about at what point does a fetus have a soul? I'm not going to get into that issue, but essentially Donna Noble could have... Could have Very given, different conversation, could yeah. have, Well, not really, because Donna Noble could have given little bits of metacrisis to each of the menstruated eggs that she has had. Every time she's had a period in the last 12 years, like at what point is it when it's in the vaginal canal, the Time Lord knowledge goes, right, now's the time to strike. This isn't going to be a stillbirth. I'm going to enter the baby. My, okay. In essence, what... I've got to just put a hand up and say, We've done enough damage, us three yeah, very yeah, straight, yeah, straight exactly, men yeah. tackling <laughs> Thanks, these topics. Jim. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> Jim, you Let's had a second question, I think. <laughs> Jim, what was your second question? <laughs> well, okay, okay. Let me follow up by saying No, 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 no. no not that. <laughs> by something We're talking about saving the whole city of London. Yep. Because a double dagger drive <laughs> extracts five square miles. And as David Tennant says, that is the whole of London town. How many square miles do you actually think Greater London encompasses? Clue, it's not five. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they don't know that in America where Disney Plus. Yeah, but give me a number. Give me a number. Who's going to come closest? Square Square miles miles of Greater London? Yeah, slightly bigger than five. Bigger, that's a clue. Price is right rules, Jim. 
Uh, I'm going to say 600. Oh, holy shit balls. 600 miles. 600 square miles. Wow. Leon? Fuck. I was going to go much lower than that. Well, fuck. Uh, uh, 450. 611. Shit. Well oh, done, Amazing Jim. guess, Jim. And RTD, you could have done that with a four-second Google. <laughs> You're off by like three orders of magnitude, you dickhead. <laughs> Congratulations, Jim. Well done. <laughs> Nine million people living Thank in you. five square miles. Have you been to London lately, RTD? Come out of Cardiff, for goodness sake. All right. I am going to say the second point then I wanted to uh, please do, to please bring yes. up, yeah, before I which lose my actually, actually is technically Marie's point. So credit to her. Ooh. Because the entire threat as it is in this plot is the Meep's spaceship devouring energy from the earth or whatever i don't know what the fuck was going on but anyway there are cracks that throw out and oh, magma and shit be, is yeah. going to come out uh, do you know where those cracks all seem to appear funnily enough oh my straight right. down the middle of the roads <laughs> yeah this is it's in my notes it's in my notes so when they reverse not the polarity of the neutron flow they reverse the whatever they reverse the, the double wait no 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 jim has the a point to make first the line is they reverse the ignition that's, that's it that's not Found how it. ignitions work so uh, <laughs> so i've written reversing the ignition apparently means reforming the tarmac because yes, yeah. is all the tarmac magically reforms oh my god oh it's in all of our notes we are three peas in one pod the, the, <laughs> my note continues and everything goes back to how it been if only that worked with 13 with years of tory government <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you oh, win? <laughs> no, that is absolutely redonkulous. It's never explained. We don't really understand what the consequences are. As you pointed out, it's what sucking energy from the earth, but why does that cause magma to spew out into the streets? Why oh, does that crack? And all that energy to be lost via combustion. Yeah. Why do the cracks only form on streets? Why not through houses? Cheapest or... visual effects. And also yeah. more child-friendly, family-friendly. Oh, yes, because little nerd with glasses. Fudge. I, I Fudge is in... He might not be. Fudge is in his window. Fudge, by the way, like, does he not have a family who cares about him? Fudge is in his oh, window. Yeah. The street outside his house is cracking open. There's lava everywhere. He's just like, oh, wow, it's fine. And then, yeah, child-friendly. Let's just reform the tarmac. We're not going to yeah. need taxes to pay for this repair oh, yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, otherwise units bankrupted because their insurance policy is going to have to pay out for the whole of London. Yeah, all yeah. the cars that fell into the cracks didn't magically Sorry, come I, back. I, I just had a minor revelation, which I don't think is actually to do with this episode. They don't mention the flux in this. No, that's the next episode. That's the next one. Yes. Okay, I'll keep it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just wait, Podcast Land. That's a little teaser nugget for next week. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the stakes are just different now. Anyway, but yeah, it's like, why is it just we see one kid watching A, an incredible battle on this street, and then B, the world, by all understanding at this point, from this child's point of view anyway, ending. (laughs) And this is the only kid we see in a window. There's no one else on the street. There aren't people walking around going, what the fuck is going on? That kid, by the way, is the main character of the comic book slash audiobook. Fudge. Oh, okay. That kid, that oh. kid is the... Oh, I had no idea. That kid is, I guess, the Rose of the original. Right, yeah. yeah. Okay. See why he got sidelined. Yeah. yeah. Right. You mentioned Marie's point, Jim. I would like to relay Abby's review. Ooh. 
Ooh. And it contrasts with Kat's review. Hooray! Because Abby's review was, I thought there was too much shooting, which of course there was. Yes. Way too yes. much, but you've got to keep Americans interested somehow. <laughs> <laughs> if you're American and listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We haven't just uh, <laughs> generalized there. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I haven't just tarred all of you with one brush. I mean, who would do that? <laughs> Abby continues, but the acting was very good. It's usually not very good. (laughs) 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 Whereas Kat thought that Donna was entirely accurate in saying she can't act. I don't know how to tell her. Yeah. It's almost like Yasmin had filmed her last scene and then they wrote that one in to be like, do you know what? Let's say what we can't say. Is that what Kat thought as well? Well, yeah, essentially. This is what I meant before by saying it's the mother who overacts and the daughter who underacts. We were also in complete agreement afterwards that actually there were two actors in it who maybe were slightly underwhelming in their performance and Rose is I'm sorry I'm saying Rose because I don't remember her name now Yasmin Finney Yasmin Finney thank you (sighs) really just could have lent a little bit more energy to her performance I think you don't think it was elegantly understated there are so many occasions where I'm sure I've made a couple of notes but I'm not going to be able to give you the context for it Uh actually fuck it I've actually written Rose can't act and here are two examples of it oh okay But that's nine million people. Mm. Yeah, Not, that... But that's nine million people. What? You're going to kill nine million people? No, it's, but that's nine million people. Okay, great. Mm. And the other example that I've written down is, I think it's safe for you to come down now. Who was she saying that to? I guess to Doc and Donna. Right. Up in the oh, spaceship. okay. Yeah. yeah I think. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just feels like... I agree. Not I, have either of you watched Heartstopper? No. That she, no. She was in. Oh, she's in yeah. that, isn't she? Yeah. That's like her own. Yeah, it's, it's an Meant amazing series. Yeah, it is incredible. Everyone should watch it. And she's really good in that. And everyone has wonderful performances in that. I don't think is this is her best performance. she less understated in that? Oh, no, I agree. This isn't her best performance. Obviously, she can show a range of emotions as an actor, as every actor can. And I feel like, yeah, this performance is a bit flat. And I don't know why. Because this is directed by, what's her name? Rachel Talalay. Who, yeah. I always forget what she's done. But her name always jumps out at me. as like, oh, wait, I know you're a good director. You've done yeah, You're really, that director really cool who's stuff. done a bunch of amazing episodes yeah exactly yeah like heaven Who's sent now i'm sure bent. just lined up for a phase whatever it is phase five marvel movie must be okay rachel tanale has directed dark water death in heaven heaven sent yeah hell bent world enough and time oh my goodness the doctor falls twice upon a time so moffat's go-to series ender spectacular yeah exactly yeah. large huge levels of responsibility granted to rachel tanale yeah. very talented so I, I don't know why a really good actor and a really good director haven't got the best performance out of this character. But I kind of agree with you, Leon. It probably could have done with a bit more emphasis in places. Yeah. Which is fine, by the way. Like in any episode of any bit of TV anywhere, sci-fi or not, there's usually at least one person or one character who isn't entirely well performed. That's fine. This is complete conjecture. But I wonder if one of the notes was, don't stand out too much as a trans actor. Don't give the twats a reason to hate you. Possible. Let's shield you a bit by taking on the responsibility for the representation and you just do your thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's a guess. It's possible. I mean, it is kind of weird how integral she is to the plot and how little screen time she's given, really. It's not a lot of material she has to work with, which is possibly part of it as well. Very true. Yeah. I want to know what happened to Susie Mayer. Who? Susie Mayer is, I believe, collateral damage in Neris's accident because the line that refers to her is Sylvia says, Did I tell you I saw Susie Mayer? She's looking a lot better. Shorter, obviously. Oh, dear. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. What's going on there? They uh, had to reverse Gattaca. Huh? Anyone watch Gattaca? No? no? They're like 3.4 people in podcast land who have watched Gattaca. <laughs> okay. The point four being Susie May. <laughs> <laughs> I can never actually remember if I've watched Gattaca. I know it was on my list to watch for years, and then I think I might have just caught half a snippet of it and then decided. Uh, Uma so. Thurman, Jude Law, and that Jude Law lookalike, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke tries to look like Jude Law in the future where everything is based on like, oh, DNA sample. Oh, you have a potential of 99.8%. Your DNA is so pure and great and amazing. And uh, Ethan Hawke's DNA is potential is lower. So he pretends to be Jude Law. I feel closer to you, Jim, because like me, you too saw 20 odd years of four star reviews of Gattaca and thought, yeah, I'll get around to that eventually. That sounds like something I should like. And then Ex Machina came along and all the four star reviews views flocked to that instead and <laughs> completely dropped off our radar. Ex Machina was... <laughs> wait, Ex Machina is... Oh, yeah, yeah. Ex Machina is the AI robots. What's her name? Swedish actress. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That film that I now intend to get around to watching. and It's good. It's a good yeah. film. Good, yeah, four-star kind of standard. You know what? I'm going to say I probably gave it eight out of ten on IMDb, oh. so I think that works out to <laughs> okay. four out of five, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where it checks out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have a question. Oh, what is it? Since we were talking about Rose just a moment ago, yeah. how old is Rose meant to be? Well, yes. <laughs> because as we've established, Donna only married Sean in 2010 rather than 2008. So right. actually, unless... Wait, so is she 13? Well, yeah. A, a max, maximum. Unless Wait, conceived outside of wedlock. Well, not conceived 12 years out of wedlock. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. we would have known about that. This is just a casting thing. Or maybe it's just a case of, like, just go back to Earth 10 years later. You don't have to go back to Earth now. Go back to Earth in 2033, yeah. and then that solves your problem. And you problem. know why that would make a whole lot more sense? Because the previous unit HQ fell to the ground, causing zero damage, by the way. Yes! Mere weeks earlier in the Doctor Who timeline. <laughs> Mind blown. Yes, exactly <laughs> and right. just thrown up an 80-story Tony Stark clone replacement in no time. Because I... <sighs> Very ungentlemanly thing to point out. But like, no, Rose looks to be about 25. Yeah. But she acts so childish at times. Yeah, Yasmin Finney was 19 at the time of filming. Oh, wow. I, I couldn't tell her age for all the reasons and more, but I had suspected she was a fair bit older than her character's... Goodness, it turns out to be 12. I, I mean, apologise for saying 25 a month ago. I didn't realise that she was a teenager at the time. A teenager? Wow. Possibly one of the youngest. Are we going to call her a companion? Soon to be companion, I'm sure. Quite possibly. Yeah. So one of the youngest companions ever, I guess, since classic times anyway. Yeah, but we... behaves so much younger than 19. Like so much younger than 19 at times. Well, that might explain or exonerate some of the um, 9 million peoples because a child, which is what Yasmin is playing, couldn't process that kind of scale of devastation. Or lend it the level of acting oomph. <laughs> yeah, about, about, <laughs> about three feet tall, but only maybe three years older than Fudge. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Question answered. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> Thanks, chaps. <laughs> Anything else before we jump into rating territory? I'm only going to make one observation. It's not really germane to this episode, but when I went looking for cast nuggets on IMDb, I was very surprised to see Doctor Who trending at number two 
on IMDb's popularity meter. Nice. Number two, I feel like it hasn't been at that level possibly ever. Doctor Who was one of the, oh, I don't know if I had a VPN on at the time, but maybe this is just a case of I access IMDb from the UK, but Doctor Who was on the front page of one of the featured items. On IMDb, at the very top of the homepage, there's a slider, there's a carousel of like, here are, oh, wow, that actor who's been in 74, for Marvel movies, uh, how they <laughs> rose to fame. I don't give a shit. And then it carousels around. Yeah, Doctor yeah. Who was one of those things. It's like, yeah. oh my goodness, you are really hitting the US market right now. That is yeah. very impressive. So all RTDs work stringing us along with jam-smeared breadcrumbs. It's working. Yeah. This push is paying off. Shall we rate this? Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Oh, Sorry, you Jim. bastards. You were frozen on my screen. <laughs> you were actually frozen on my screen and you unfreeze with fingers on oh. your fucking noses. Whatever. We Wha- didn't whatever. Do that. Whatever. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. The bad whatever. workman blames his VPN. <laughs> He who lets it begets it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was slightly cruel fate of internet lag when the beautiful men in Oxford froze on my screen. They unfroze with fingers on their tips of noses. So I have to go first. What did I think of this? Oh, God. I know lots of people like this because I've already peeked at the listener minis. I kind of enjoyed it the first time I watched it. That was my takeaway. It's like, yeah, that was a bit of fun. Doctor Who's back. Yay. All that kind of jazz. Second time round, review ahead on making notes. <laughs> uh, not quite as much. Anyway. <laughs> Second time around, oh, Doctor Who's back. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the kind of family interplay we had in this episode, especially surrounding Donna and Sylvia and Sylvia Mm. stumbling a bit with Rose being trans. I felt like those elements worked quite well. There was some humor there. There was some heart there. Good stuff. As I said before, I actually found the beep really cute and fun. It's totally overplayed and whatever. I don't care. It was nice. Even to the extent of fun, hilarious that Donna pokes the meep in the eye when it's hiding (laughs) amongst all the other toys. Great stuff. (gasps) Yeah, we've got lovely bits like this new TARDIS interior and Doc running around like a child with absolute glee in his face. It's wonderful. The Doctor Donna, where Donna gets to say that she's only got 55 seconds of life left, but, you know, the best 55 seconds of her life because she's experiencing something that she'd forgotten and all this kind of... There's some really nice elements. Rose chose her name. She made this shed that looked like the TARDIS. All these toys that she was making were actually references to aliens that Donna had encountered. Possibly even things that she hadn't encountered. I'm pretty sure there was the... I think um, so, yeah. Yeah. I've forgotten the dog race people. But yeah, there was one of them in there, which was interesting. But I felt like that was dealt with a bit too quickly. I don't know. It's kind of my beef with this episode in general is that when there was something done well there was possibly something that came along that soured it a bit for me. So we have trans representation. Great. Absolutely fantastic. But then there's just a little bit of ham-fistedness of making it not even work, just... I don't know, just too much laziness with it. Making it just stand on its own, not making it just part of the story. It was just trying to force it to be the plot in a way that it wasn't. Because, as we've said, this plot is really about the meep. And the meep isn't that great. The way that the Earth is in danger isn't that great. So we've got a weak thing tacked on a weak thing and blah, 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 blah. What else do we have? 
I thought it was actually a nice scene where Doc is an absolute anguish about having to sacrifice Donna by making her the Donna Doctor again. But then it felt, again, that was tainted a bit because it wasn't that much of a sacrifice. I don't know why he was struggling with this so much because it was the fate of 9 million people at stake, including all of Donna's family. To Donna, it wasn't much of a sacrifice. She was there. She would do anything to protect her daughter and her husband and her mother. And it just immediately is unraveling before my eyes of this wonderful moment. And I felt like the acting was actually really good for that. David Tennant was performing really well. I think basically throughout, David Tennant was performing really well. Catherine Tate, this isn't my cup of tea. The Donna character is not something I particularly enjoy, but I think she did a really good job in that role. That was Donna to me, 100%. Back, full force, exactly what she was before. Full credit to both Catherine Tate and David Tennant for jumping back into those roles and giving us exactly what they had done before. But yeah, there's just so many little things that just kind of kept niggling me. Like, I don't understand why the Meep was able to speak English to everyone. The TARDIS wasn't involved at all. Is this what we're going to just hand wave now? There's not going to be any kind of attempt to address alien languages. The whole bait and switch with the Meep's good and then it's evil. But then the insect soldiers are evil, but actually they're good. But then we get a scene with Fudge, where one insect soldier is told by the other one, oh, don't shoot him. That's not who we're after we're just after the meep and in retrospect it falls apart because they are just after the meep they don't want to hurt anyone else and also they're carrying stun guns so why i mean in some respects just shoot the kid and be done with it because it's a stun gun so yeah it's one of these things on a second viewing things just start unraveling a bit but i think i'm just going to end with two negatives take them for what you will tuna fucking madras what (laughs) um and let rose go in the tardis Please, why did that not happen? Ah, robbed. Um, That's going to happen in part three. Maybe. First viewing, I could have given this a three out of five. Immediately after the second viewing, before talking about this, I was down to a 1.9. I have since bounced in between, and I'm going to go with a 2.4. We've talked you up? How's that? Well... (laughs) We've talked you up to a 2.4. Well, I just, I just, I remember the world that is Doctor Who. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Okay. I love that. Right. Talks a lot of sense there, are Jim. Yeah. And you gave a lot of credit to David Tennant, but that's not the whole story, is it, Jim? <laughs> Fine. All right. Someone uh, no. really wants to have a fight here. Well, no, 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 no. Yeah. All of this is contextualized that I am not the greatest fan of the choice that has been made here, that Russell T. Davis decided to come back and bring David Tennant and Catherine Tate back into these roles. It's not an era of Doctor Who I particularly connect with. It feels like stepping backwards and not pushing things forward. And having watched two of these specials now, I stand by that. But I'm trying to take it for what it is and enjoy it for what it is and accept. I 100% agree with this. Lots of other people enjoy this who aren't me great if people can take enjoyment out of this and it's still doctor who and it obviously is sonic bastardization notwithstanding (laughs) then yeah doctor who is back on our screens and we should all rejoice yeah as someone who's always taking all the enjoyment out of this for podcast land maybe i should go next 
Well, I have a view of uh, your laptop. <laughs> yeah. You're infinitely more prepared than I am. So go ahead. Sure. Why don't you? Jim talking about going back to 2008. We have seen the second episode. It is midnight with a budget and slightly more developed characters. We know that. We'll get to that next week. This is just Journey's End Part 2. In Journey's End, Davros's reality bomb was defeated by a succession of techno babble nonsense buttles and paddles, such as an internalized synchronous backfeed reversal loop and here we have hang on I need a better example I wasn't that well prepared was I we have Rose closing down all psychedelic light wave emanators and transferring excess power to the broken drone prefixolators so it is the exact same bit of a fudge that we got before here where we only get a bit of a fudge the previous main character in this one the doctor gets his old face back the TARDIS lands right next to her he talks about destinies heading for Donna Noble in Journey's End, Donna Noble was talking about, I don't believe in destiny. And he's like, well, it seems to be coming for you. And it's a bare-faced repeat to just be retreading that. I get that RTD might want to revisit his greatest hits with a Disney budget. And Michael Ridgway has told me privately that is exactly what we're going to get. And there'll be a bit of fun in that. But also, you want the second era to be a taking off with a lot more maturity and development and tools to your skill set than just... Look, there's more shooting, and RTD always had too much shooting anyway. Moving on. In one sense, this episode is a simple story with a cute alien-turned-nasty villain that kids should just lap up. And as a big kid, I did lap it up. I loved the -the over-the-top element in both the cuteness and the ferocity and the bared teeth and the sharp fangs and the just die! I friggin' loved all of it. I'm sorry, Leon, that I keep ruining your hearing, but I just love it that much. Thanks. But at the same time, this is a gristly, inelegant first bite for a new viewer to have to swallow, even if David Tennant is standing in the depths of space <laughs> saying, Oh, it's I'm Lord. I guess it's a necessary evil, but it points to this episode having to do way too much at once, achieve all these objectives that can be at odds with each other. It's taking this old story with fudge, like you're talking about, and it is putting Rose into the heart of it, and it's trying to do a great job with trans representation, and it is, and a lot of people will be lapping it up. But critically, if you look at it, I think we've established it could have been a lot better. It doesn't make a whit of sense narratively. We'll deal with Isaac Newton next week. RTD is a man on a mission, but maybe limit your number of missions, even if you've been given all the power. I did like, at the same time, some of the callbacks to Journey's End. In that, Donna calls Tennant and his John Smith handyman skinny boys in suits. And now she's saying, all right, skinny man, although you shouldn't be wearing a suit that tight at your age. So that kind of callback is fun. It's not load bearing. It's just nice if you happen to have gone back and been like, oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, okay. I liked the scene where Tennant puts the judge's wig on and holds court. I feel like that's something the Doctor would be arrogant enough to do. Mm. And all the aliens, you'll bow down to me, and I'll go back to the Shadow Proclamation, P15 and 6. Yes, okay, it's another RTD greatest schmatest hit. But I found that really enjoyable, and there was a lot in this episode that was funny and nice to watch. And I watched it a second time, and it wasn't a chore. Of course, there were things to critique, but it wasn't a drag. It never dragged and it's an hour plenty of doctor who episodes that are an hour drag like anything i would also have to give credit to when they were shooting at sean's taxi and it was completely unmarked i was like ah here's a note for me to 
mention later, and they got me. It was a plot point. I did the exact same thing. Yeah, well done. <laughs> well done, lads. Also, did you notice that Shirley's word for the Doctor is jammy? Yes, yeah, yeah. Jammy Which Dodgers. Yet, and... Well, I was going to say jam and string. Yet more proof that RTD oh, I see. listens to the show. Thanks, <laughs> RTD. Jim, you mentioned the toys in the shed. I was annoyed on second viewing that even when I was looking out for them, there were lots of toys that we hadn't seen previously, like the Odd Plodge, Godge Flodge, the Jadoon. There was a Rhino toy. I would have seen that. I was looking for it. Maybe it's in the very background crevice yeah. of one shot, but to be like, look at all these clues that we never showed you. Like, it seems a bit crap, really. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, and we touched upon this in the episode, but it is a bit disturbing that if the Dr. Donna meta crisis hadn't happened, then maybe the boy Jason who grew up would have just stayed Jason. It does cut away at Rose being who she is. And even though RTD has gone to the trouble of saying once the meta crisis is removed, she says, oh, I feel like I'm finally me. That kind of holds together, but also you have to be so careful with this stuff. And I think he has been clumsy. There is one word in particular I disagree with in one way, and it's nobody's pronoun. It's the word more. The doctor is male and female. And then you cut to Rose and she says, neither and more. And you think maybe you're talking about genders. We are not all 100% defined by our genders. We are all more than our genders. But if you have Rose as a trans person saying, I'm neither and more, which it looks like, then you were saying some genders can be less. And you have to be so careful not to do that. Just don't put your big foot in it in that way. So that was something I thought could have been better off avoided. Final point, it's fun. Did you notice that in the background of some shots at the beginning and the end in Camden Lock, there is an establishment called the Cyber Dog? Yeah, that's a real place. Yes. Yeah, I didn't know. There's shops that sell futuristic clothing. I thought, oh great, K9's going to come back. And then I learned the truth and I was like, oh, really? It's a great shop. You can go in there and, and um, yeah, no, it's a good place. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, <laughs> similarly to not getting K9 in this episode, I was very disappointed with all the teasing of Wilf and we didn't get any Wilf and I know having seen Midnight version 2 we do get some Wilf and I get why there was so little of Wilf and it breaks my heart love you Bernard Cribbins but yeah that's just what I felt on first viewing oh no Wilf oh man that's a shame so I don't know what does that all add up to I told you Leon offline after seeing it for the first time my rating was between 3.1 and 3.7 like Jim we've delved a lot deeper into some of the cracks in this episode it's not going to be a 3 but I think it's it's going to be like uh, 2.8. 2.8. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> good stuff. I just well want to quickly say I had the exact same thing with the cyber dog. And I feel like this is a mistake on RTD's part or whoever decided on the filming location. Because it isn't that common to recognize that if you don't live in London, presumably. Yeah. And it looks like a set piece for Doctor Who. It looks like a background that they've made for it. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a fair point. I had a similar thought as well. They should just have angled the camera anywhere else in Camden <laughs> Camden Market. If they yeah. needed to be at Camden Lock, then literally put it anywhere else. And if they were trying to trick people into thinking there would be Cybermen in this episode, well... Well, you didn't make much of an effort there, then. No, and also, all the plot points have been given away. So <laughs> there's yeah. no way we were going to think that. Mm. Right, well, holy moly, chaps. I have prepared nothing even remotely as 
detailed as that. I'm going to wing it with bullet points, but I do have quite a few bullet points. <laughs> I'm following my usual structure of Dr. Companion, yada, yada, yada. So here we go. I'm going to keep it nice and neat because I feel like we've covered most of this. Doc Tennant is spectacular. <laughs> yeah, we I, never mentioned him. I happen to be one of those people who actually really enjoy having Tennant back, but mostly because I liked the subversion of expectations at the end of the last one of like, what? What? And the third one, what? Was not expecting him. Great, great twist. And he does a great job. And he clearly loves playing this part. So it's a huge point of enjoyment for me just to watch mm. him do this job. Yeah. Companions. Well, I made a note as I was watching this the second time around. I wrote, okay, it's official. I really enjoy Donna. Hey! Oh, happy day! But to be clear, there mm. are so many occasions where I just feel like that. Oh, wow. Just an acting class. Or, you know what? It doesn't even have to be that much. Just a volume knob. That, that <laughs> might solve the problem for me. But Donna's great. Rose is great. In fact, the whole fam is wonderful. There are some really human moments mm. that you don't often get with companions and their extended family. The last time that we had one of these was Yaz and her family. Never related to any of them. Not one of them. Mm. And we got to see her sister or her interact with her sister every now and then. Here, fantastic. I also made a note, Jim. I also made a note of the scene with Donna's mum in the kitchen where, what's her name? Sylvia, where she's like, oh, I'm a bit clumsy at times. That seemed like such a genuine human moment. There's comedy in the kitchen with the tuna madras. This is the most human Sylvia has ever been. It's the fairest she's ever been treated by sure. miles well he had a whole series and this episode outdid it yes good very good stuff thank you very much sylvia mentioned the comedy in, in the kitchen there's also drama on the street with those dickholes who are bullying rose yeah. the foe the meep i'm not a huge fan of the childish <laughs> meep i'm perfectly happy with evil meep Die! Uh, not so clear on what the meep was all about, though. In the end, it seemed as though the meep was perfectly content sacrificing themselves. Was there no greater agenda there? Is the meep just mad? Has the sun just manipulated the very last of its species, we're told, to such an extent that they're happy to manipulate a bunch of people and then just detonate themselves? That seems at odds with what the meep was introduced as. Do you know what? It's quite like Davros in Journey's End. He was happy for reality to be destroyed, just maximum body count. Oh. I don't remember that. Yeah, I, I will revisit it. I'll wrap up on a quick pro and con list. Pros. Donna's fam. Great setup for a soft reboot. Humor worked really well. Doc and Donna chemistry. Obviously production value. The Meep being carried in on a throne. Hilarious. Amazing intro and some excellent steps towards fair representation. Cons. Childish bits here and there. A couple of instances of dreadful acting. <laughs> in addition to Catherine Tate, I should say. The deus ex machina of Rose and Donna just saying it at the end. The breathy outro and occasionally shoehorn steps towards fair representation. Biggest pro, we're back, baby. Biggest con, will our corporate Mickey Mouse overlords actually allow us to be, though? Main takeaway, I've entered nothing under that bullet point. Rating, however, <laughs> I watched this twice. After the first time, I wrote... 4.2. However, I then rewatched it. I wrote no rating. We had this conversation. I wrote a rating and my new rating, I have talked myself down to a 3.4. Okay. Bearing in mind that we Ooh. both gave, you and I both gave uh, the woman who fell to her 3.8. So yeah, nowhere near that. Is it better than, yeah, wait, is it not better than the Christmas invasion? It's you, better than the Christmas you invasion. You think it's better and I think it's worse. Yeah, I think it is better. It's nowhere near 11th hour. Yeah, there you go. 3.4. 
I will say this episode is a lot. Perhaps one single numerical rating for this episode, more than many others, doesn't quite do its complexity justice. It's true. Yeah, that's very true. I can only concur with just the fact that I, I'm continuously thinking of, oh, we should talk about this thing as well. But we've been talking for like two hours. so I know. Uh, <laughs> and it is approaching 1am where you are, Jim Cakes. So uh, Exactly. I'm shutting up right now. So that's what we think. Let's have a listen to what Podcast Land thinks, shall we? Let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250. Or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron and welcome to the Listener Mini section of of this podcast episodes. Well, we have received no fewer than six listener minis for this one, most of which I think Ooh. were instant-ish reaction reviews. Hey! So pretty good stuff. Thank you very much, everyone who sent something in. Right, let's see here. Who's first? Why? It's one of these. A new reviewer. It's Aiden in America. Aiden in America. Hello, Aiden. We're going to have to look up a new In America song. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Aiden. Oh, welcome aboard. To Tracy. <laughs> oh, are you saying in America is the surname? Uh, yeah, possibly. <laughs> uh, welcome aboard, Aiden. Very glad to be traveling down this temporal road with you. Aiden starts. Well, here it is. Doctor Who is back. Finally! I discovered this show when I was nine, and it was showing on US Netflix. Then, when I was 16, I got into that annoying teenage phase where everything you liked as a kid is lame. Oh, so lame. Oh my god. And I stopped watching. No, Aiden! But, continues Aiden, during the pandemic, I got back into the show and, lining. and came to love it even more than I had as a kid. But I decided against watching the show live, because I wanted to rewatch the whole thing again, a process that is still ongoing due to my ridiculous procrastination skills. So not only have I missed the entire 13th Doctor era, says Aiden, this is the first Doctor Who episode I've watched live in about six and a half years. That's awesome! It would be hilarious if after all the hype and anticipation I ended up thinking it was shit. (gasps) Fortunately, it was good! Yay! Aiden's first takeaway is that it is hilarious. RTD decided to make the sonic screwdriver even stronger. It's even more a magic wand than ever! Still, it looks unbelievably good in the hands of David Tennant, who hasn't missed a beat in his performance after all these years. Mm -hmm. I agree, Aiden. Frictionless. Nor has Catherine Tate. Nothing but friction, love it. Who is as good at being Donna as she ever was. I'm looking forward to two more full episodes of her back in companion mode now that the Doctor has winter-soldiered her memories back. Marvel. Yeah, I assume. I don't get that reference. It was just fun, like a good old RTD episode of the past. The future of Doctor Who is looking bright, and Aiden can't wait. Hooray! Oh, Yay. fabulous stuff, Aiden. How would you interpret that numerically? Ooh, fours. Fours. Yeah, uh, that seems like 4.3, 4. 3, I feel. Yeah. Oh, Aiden, you've got a big heart. Wow. <laughs> Holy moly. Aiden, thank you so much for writing in. Fabulous to be traveling down this temporal road with you, I believe I already said, but it is fabulous nonetheless. Thank you very much. Who's next? Next up, would you believe it? It's another one of these! New reviewer! It's Mikey J! Hello, Mikey! Hello, Mikey! Hi, Mikey, J. Mikey starts. Not sure if you're doing minis for this one. We are, but thought I'd try sending one anyway for the first time. I'll try the likes and dislikes format. Good choice, Mikey. Best parts. Donna Noble! Sing it, brother! <laughs> <laughs> Preach! 
My favorite companion is back and as great as ever. She was less shouty and over the top in this, so maybe even Donna haters would be okay with her here. She seems like such a great mom too. I loved all the interactions with her daughter. Mom? Hey, forget Doctor Who. We're breaking America. (laughs) (laughs) Mikey continues with some best parts being the scene with the Doctor and the new unit scientific advisor. Such great chemistry between the actors. And shows how the 14th Doctor is a bit calmer and more mature than the 10th. Yeah. Next best part. True, very true. Yes. Another best part, says Mikey, the TARDIS. What an amazing set. With how big it is and how it can change colours, it seems to have a lot of possibilities for how it can be filmed in interesting ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Final best parts. The opening credits. So beautiful and great new arrangement of the theme. Some great nostalgic music cues throughout. And call back to the Stones of Blood with the Doctor pulling out that wig. Ooh. Cakes, you and I reviewed that one, I think. I remember some stones. (laughs) (laughs) That's about it. I remember the episode. I don't remember the wig. Oh, amazing. Fabulous stuff, Mikey. Mikey continues with some worst parts. The conclusion to the Metacrisis Dr. Donna stuff was a little rushed and cheesy. If it was just explained that Donna passed some of it to her daughter, that would be enough. But all the binary, non-binary, only women get this stuff was kind of weird. I love that the show's exploring gender identity, but it felt messy here. Overall, a really solid start to the new RTD era, says Mikey, and awards this 3.8 out of 5. Nice. Nice. Amazing stuff. Fabulous, Mini. Thank you very much, Mikey. True privilege to be traveling down this temporal road with you. Yes. What a crowded bus we have assembled. <laughs> We're not flying, though. It stays stitched to the ground. That's right, Lady D'Souza. <laughs> <laughs> no sand Thanks, inside. Mikey. <laughs> Thank you, Mikey. Who's next? Why, next up, it's Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hello there, Andy. Andy begins, Hi, guys. Don't know if you're wanting any minis for this review, but here's mine anyway. We are, Hooray. and it's very welcome. What ho, gang? What ho, Andy? <laughs> well, that was great fun, wasn't it? Yeah, indeed. Yes, this episode took me back to 2005 and the giddy excitement of Rose. It's funny, heartwarming, and plenty of nods to the past. Yasmin Finney is great, and it's great that we get to see more of Sean Temple. Andy yes. then goes into some likes. The first off being, the show just looks amazing. Every time I think they can't make it look better, they smash it out the park. The scenes with Donna and Sylvia. It's so great to see them again. Sylvia worrying about getting things wrong was so touching. The psychic paper saying Grand Mistress continues, Andy. It's great they're not erasing the past. In my notes, I gave it plus 0.1 for that joke. (laughs) (laughs) I did like it. Shirley's kick-ass rocket-firing wheelchair. Nice. And you pulled his tummy out. It still (laughs) gets me out a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Meep, meep. Andy continues with some boobs. First, after reversing the Meep's ship's engines, the rips in the road suddenly all heal. Now, maybe I missed a line, but how? Rishi Sunak will be hiring Rose as his pothole tsar if she can mend the roads by magic. True. The Sonic makes force fields now? Hmm, it's becoming a bit magic wandy for me. Interesting (laughs) turn of phrase there, Andy. Yeah. I could add so many more likes, but 250 words, right? I mean, you might have blasted through that a little bit, Andy, but we are in a forgiving mood. 
Okay, so the Meep storyline tails off in the second half and some of the exposition is a bit clunky. But I don't care, says Andy. Fine. It was a thrill a minute and the episode flew by and I've already rewatched it twice. Wow. I'm going to start the 60th year and I can't wait for the next one. And Andy awards this 4.8. How are there five empty lofts in Donna's street out of five? Adding, P.S., I really hope the wig the 14th Doctor uses is the same one that the fourth Doctor uses in Stones of Blood. Nice. <laughs> good spot, guys. Very good. Nice. Thank you very much, Andy. People who are not Andy, say hi to Andy on X. He can be found at Caffrey's 71. And if you're on Blue Sky, you can also check him out there. He's andyp71.bsky.social. Rolls off the tongue. Confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy. Good stuff. Who's next? Why, next up, it's Kieran Evans. Hello, Hello Kieran. Kieran. Kieran says, hi, folks. Hi, Kieran. So you can definitely tell that they've spent quite a bit on this one. It looks very good. Actually, story and emotional beats I might have to ruminate on. Catherine Tate certainly was back as Donna, probably my favourite companion of the new series. And yes, I know Leon and Marie prefer Clara, and they are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And how, Kieran? Kieran concludes, initial thoughts are positive, but nothing really more than that. Everything felt right, but I think I'll have to rewatch it to get a proper feel, particularly after the other two Tenant specials. Well, Kieran, aren't you in luck? We'll be doing a 14th Doctor retrospective in due course. Kieran gives this so far 3.5 out of 5 giant space rats. Excellent rating. Thank you very much, Kieran. People who are not Kieran, get in touch with your environmentally conscious (laughs) van renter. And head on over to KJ Evans 2 for all your your Evan needs. Thank you very much. Nice. Right. Who snipped? Snip, snippity, snip, snip, snips, henceforth. And next up we have Tan's Six Fingers. Kapow, 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 kapow. Ah, he got me with the sixth one. I didn't see it coming. Classic. Tan's. Tan's says, Greetings, who back when team? Just a few of my reactions from watching the return of David Tennant. And snip, snippity, snip, snip, snip concludes with a rating of 3.5 smashed units trucks out of five watch this vehicle fall on the other budget (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much tans peeps what are not tans head on over to whobackwhen.com and read tans's 10 point plan and say (laughs) hi to tans online at tans six fingers that's six the digits the word not the numbers the word oh not the digit not the did not the number the word okay yeah that joke fell the letters Thank you very much, Tans. Who's next? Next and last, it's Tracy from America. From America. <laughs> yeah. Echo, echo. Hello, Tracy. Tracy says she's not really sure if this will make an instantish recording, but here goes. Oh, instantish, but it's a recording nonetheless. Okay, real <laughs> stuff. Tracy says, oh my goodness, lots of the love here. It looks good. It sounds good. Are the effects CGI or practical? No idea, but who cares? They are smooth as butter. And after some snips, she gives this a rating of a nice crisp bow tied in a TARDIS blue ribbon. Which very neatly encapsulates this entire episode. I guess. Yeah. No one does it like Tracy. This bow tie-less episode. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sorry, I forgot we were doing snips. I just started reading the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. fine, it's fine. <laughs> People who are not Tracy can, of course, read Tracy's mini on the website in full splendor. And once they've done that, they should absolutely say hi to Tracy online. Tracy can be found at... That's Fountain Tracy. Backwards almost. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much Tracy and thank you very much everyone who sent something in for this one mm. holy moly it's nice that they had the faith in us ever coming back I know <laughs> I did say this before we press record wow podcast retirement who knew <laughs> oh did not expect us to be in front of a microphone just quite so quickly but here we are <laughs> podcast land thank you so much you've been absolutely lovely don't worry we haven't gone just yet what's coming up next there's only one option, really. In the new channel, it's Wild Blue Yonder. That's pretty much it. That's what we know. Classic, nope, nothing is lined up, but please do go and explore our back catalogue. It is available on the website and on Spotify. Yeah. Same goes for audios. And on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> oh. And anywhere you can get hold of good podcasts. Good. Great. That's right. Bonus content. Jim, any thoughts? Next bonus? Is that the 14th Doctor Retrospective, perchance? I mean, it'll be a 14th Doctor Retro or a blooper reel. Who knows? In the meantime, people can say hello to us online in one way or another. Jim Cakes, it's past 1 a.m. where you are. How can people get in touch with you past 1 a.m.? Um... <laughs> Past 1 a.m., you can't use your carrier pigeons anymore. You have to resort to bats, unfortunately. Oh, of course. They will find me if you just address it to Jim Cakes at Berlin. Alternatively, <laughs> if you would rather use online methods, I can be found at JimmyTheWho at Mastodon.social because I have abandoned my own Mastodon server because that was ridiculous. You are now Jimmy the Who. You are no longer Jimmy the What now. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Took people till past 1 a.m. just to find you, but okay. <laughs> exactly. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. <laughs> and the spree is filling up with fan mail. The German Postal Service doesn't know where to deliver to. Drew, can people find you online? Yes, they can. You can message whobackwhen at gmail.com or contact whobackwhen on Twitter as was at whobackwhen. That's right. All of us collectively, in fact. You can say hi to me as well, uh, obviously through the collective channels, but also at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N, a Twitter slash X handle that I very rarely use. And all that remains at this point to say is podcast land you have been an absolutely wonderful adorable and lovely audience as you are wont to be thank you so much for listening until the next time be right next to each other rock on and uh, cha ciao see ya bye bye kablamo did you enjoy the show then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when tell your friends but i've got no friends no problemo tell some strangers hey like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?